I've always believed that it, that his love is unconditional. He doesn't, he doesn't, it's like, you know, I don't like what you do, but I love you. He, he doesn't approve of what we do. But he loved the sinner. Isn't that unconditional love? Mm -hmm. I love that part of the gospel that if we make mistakes, we can be forgiven. And that all he asks is that we keep trying. That's all he asks. Welcome, everybody, to the We Are Becoming podcast. I am so happy to have you guys here, and I'm so grateful that my grandma is here with us today, and um, she is my mom's mom, and she will be telling us a little bit about her life and her experiences today. Um, so welcome. Thanks for being here with me today. Thank you for asking me. Of course. So um, I wanted to start, most people, so your full name is Patricia Ann Cardwell. Correct. But most people call you Pat. Or Patty. Or Patty. Who started that? Who started your nicknames? Well, when I was born, that's what, in the literature I have from my mother and the baby book that she made, it's always Patty. And uh, my father's, my my relatives, they all referred to me as Patty. And my sister-in-law, Janet, called me Patty. And one of the ladies I worked with at the church office building, Pearl Payne, she called me Patty. And then my brother does, and Debbie, his wife. And um, it's, it, it, but my name is Patricia. But when I <clears throat> was in sixth grade, I signed my paper this one day, Pat, and the teacher stood up in front of the class and she says, who's Pat? And I raised my hand and she says, why did, why did you do that? She says, Patricia is such a pretty name. And there could have been a little rebellion there, <clears throat> but from then on, it was Pat. And I wish I hadn't done that. Oh, really? Yeah. How come? Well, because... Patricia is a beautiful name, and it means of noble birth. Oh. And <clears throat> I don't know, because a, a boy can be a Pat, and I was a Pat. So, um, yeah, I, I, and I, I was fond of Patty when anyone would call me Patty. And, and this is maybe off the subject, but the first date I had with my husband, as we came home and... Before I got out of the car, he said, Patty, dear, may I kiss you? Oh. So, but he never called me Patty after that, but he did that night. So, Patty's kind of special. Oh, that's sweet. That's really sweet. <laughs> yeah. Growing up, you would have everybody call you grandma. And so, everybody that would come in the door, whether it's boyfriends or 
girlfriends or neighbors or whoever it was, you would always introduce yourself as grandma. And I just thought that that was really sweet and welcoming. And anybody that walked through your door just felt welcome and at home. So you're known as Pat and Patty, but you're also known as grandma too. That's true. Uh, although I have to say that my son's friends always called me mom. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. That's really sweet. I didn't know that. Like your dad. Yeah. He's always called me mom from the very beginning. So. Mm -hmm. But it's all special. It's all really sweet. It means a lot to me. Yeah. I love that. Um, I wanted to ask you, just as a little introduction, how many children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren do you have? Well, I have four children, Warren, David, Alan, and Elisa. I have 18 grandchildren, and I believe it's 34 great-grandchildren. The last little great-grandchild didn't make it. He's, he's in heaven, but he still counts. Yeah. And his name is Sutton Kirk. That's sweet. You have a, a big posterity. I do. You have a lot of children. <laughs> oh. um, I wanted to ask, what do you enjoy in life right now? Like, do you have any hobbies or are you involved in any clubs or groups that you attend? Well, one thing I'm doing, I try to do pretty regularly is I'm walking at the ward house three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for an, for an well, not an hour, but generally 30 minutes. And so that's something I try to keep scheduled. Of course, my home and yard is important to me. I've been able to maintain living here alone. And so I'm trying to stay healthy so that I can stay here and be independent. That right now is a challenge for me. I can see um, the health is changing, but I care about um, I care about my family. I want to be able to see them, talk to them, uh, be with them whenever it's possible. I do love my home and yard, uh, and I think I've taken a lot of pride in taking care of it. I'm, it's important to me to attend my church meetings on Sunday. And for 10 years, I was a temple worker at the Jordan River Temple. And so when we, when I could no longer be there because of my address, I was out of the district. And my friend and I, Maude Breen, she and I just decided, well, we'll just go every Thursday. So that's been our goal all these years, is to just go every Thursday to the temple. and. We're pretty faithful. We try to, you know, if we're healthy enough. And of course, the COVID changed things, but um, that's at least my weekly goal. And uh, clubs, I don't really have any clubs or hobbies. I guess my home and yard family are my hobbies. I need to be doing family history, genealogy, but the computer is a challenge for me. So Instead of doing my family names, I'm doing my friends, Paula Shively, her family names. <laughs> That's nice of you. You'll just do her family history. <laughs> That's nice of you. 
Well, and another thing that uh, I'll note is you always, throughout our lives, have gone to games. Baseball games, soccer games. Um, you've been really, really good. At, so I don't know if you'd consider that one of your hobbies, but you definitely have made a priority to go to games and music recitals and plays and all of that of your grandkids. Yep, that is very true. And of course, years ago, when David's children, David and Alan's children were younger, <clears throat> I was still working full time and I would go to work and then I would drive to their games. And there's many times on a Saturday, I would hit a football game on the west side and then I would leave that game halftime and then come up on the east side to see one of the girls soccer games. So Yes, I did that. The boys now are grown and they have children of their own. And um, I managed to do a lot for my daughter's children and grandchildren because they're closer. And it just, it yes, recitals, games, school functions, I, I went to all of it as often as I could. And I would even leave work at times to go to something and then come back and go back to work after so yeah mm -hmm. yeah that's you've you've showed me a good example of that as well because um I remember that you were always there at games and recitals and that's been meaningful to me and has taught me that family is important and supporting family is important so thank you for well, that you're welcome I I loved every minute of it and even recently I was able to catch one of Cassidy's shows, so I will still keep doing it. At 9 o'clock at night at, at a bar. At 9 o'clock at night. <laughs> yeah, that was really kind. Um, so you mentioned that one of your hobbies um, was gardening, and I that's something that you've passed on to my mom, so my mom is an avid gardener. She's always out in her garden, and I know that she got that from you. So I just wanted to know where that came from and why gardening is so meaningful to you. Well, I, I don't know where it came from. I just know that at growing up, we moved often. So I went to a different school generally every year. So my parents never had a home. They had apartments. And and uh, when we moved to Belmont Avenue, we had a house at that time, but again, my father, they were just renting. But my dad worked in the yard. He raked the leaves, and, and he'd come home at noon. If there were any leaves on the grass, he would sweep them off or rake them off or wash them off with the lawn. And he always planted... Um, flowers in the backyard. He always had a row of asters and a row of, of zinnias. Uh, when my husband and I got married, we moved, it was seven years before we got our home. And um, my husband's brother, Earl, built the home. Jay helped, but Jay did it the basement. He finished the basement and he did the yard. He did the rock work and the fences. and. And he scalloped and put, we'd go up the canyon and get the rocks. And we just did it together. But I have to say, his, his father and mother were avid gardeners and lovers of flowers. His mother had a, 
room that was African violets, and he had roses outside that she loved and cared for. And Pa Kirk, he took care of his yard and his rocks, and he did a good job. So I think it was just something that maybe we inherited, uh, something that it comes from Heavenly Father to make our land beautiful. And and so as Jay would do the lawn and do the trees and the rocks, and I, I was able to learn how to plant petunias, and I would buy lots of flats, flats of petunias every year. But Jay did most of it. But then, of course, after he was gone, then I just had to do it all. And I, I love it. I, I love a pretty yard. I love the flowers. And I don't care what color they are. They don't have to match. I just think it's part of Heavenly Father's creation, and I like to be a part of it. That's neat. That was cool to hear about. <laughs> that was cool to hear about because, yeah, growing up, you always had a massive flower garden, and there was always bees buzzing around on all your pretty flowers, and it was just really pretty, so yeah. that's neat. Um, I want to ask how old are you, if I don't, if you don't mind. Oh, I'm fine. It's fine. I'm 87. 87. I'm proud of it. <laughs> yes, you've had a very good, busy life. <laughs> you've done a lot of things. Um. So yeah, if you so that was a good introduction, and that helps us to you know kind of get to know you a little bit better. Um, I would love to kind of rewind and start with your early years, and then just go from there. So, um, just tell us a little bit about your childhood. So, where were you born, um, and what were you like as a child, from what you know? Well, my parents uh, had three children, so I'm the oldest. And I was born in March 26, 1935, at the LDS hospital. And mother had a very hard delivery, and it was very, very difficult and very long. And at that time, the LDS hospital was run by nuns, and Mother just remarked about how she loved the nuns. They were so kind to her. And when it was time, they were, she was there probably close to two weeks, and she says they kept you in bed, so you had to learn to walk again. And when it was time for Mother to leave, my father didn't have the, enough money, so he had to go uptown. He probably took the bus or walked uptown to borrow seemed like he said $75, but I don't know, anyway, to get enough money to come back and, and pay for the hospital bill. Um, and then my brother Ralph, he was born three years later, and then Stephen was born 12 years later. Did I say three years, 12 years? Yeah. And uh, so we moved a lot. My father uh, worked uh, at Keeley's. They called them soda jerks back then, and so that was a little restaurant, and there were several of, several of them in Salt Lake City. And so we moved a lot. We rented places, weren't always the very nice, nicest places, but it's what they could afford. And there were hard times in 35, and 41 is when the, when the world, when the war started, World War II started, and we moved to Idaho Falls, I went to the first grade in Idaho Falls, kindergarten in Salt Lake, and then Idaho Falls for the first grade. And my father went up there with his 
brothers to work in Covey's Little America. So that was that was part of part of a different school every year, different place to rent. Uh, my my parents, uh, although they are members, were members of the church, and they were sealed in the Logan Temple. They uh, were less active in the church. They didn't go to church. But I have to say, it was my mom that made sure that we went. It was mother that taught us, taught me how to say the prayer. We had prayer at dinner at night, and um, when I could say my prayer at evening, I can remember it was mother that taught me how to do that. It was mother that, that made sure that I was baptized. In fact, I was baptized when I was seven because it was a man that was going to uh, his name was Smith. I don't know the significance of it. I'm sure if I looked it up, but mother wanted this particular man to be the one that would confirm me. So I wasn't quite eight yet when I was baptized. But um, it was a difficult childhood because of the way my parents lived. And it was not, it was not a happy childhood. They they didn't keep the word of wisdom and there was a lot of uh, hostility and arguing. So um, thinking back of my childhood, it was, it was not happy. And uh, I remember going to the parade once. I used to have Santa Claus parade in the evening uptown. I can remember that we, we did that one time. Um, but we didn't, uh, we didn't go on trips. Of course, you know, people didn't have a lot of money then, and the times were very difficult and very, very hard. I can remember living on Lincoln Street, 1069 Lincoln Street. That was my grandfather's home that he had built, Alden Amos Cardwell. And it was Christmas Eve, and I was... That's where I lived, where I was baptized, so I could have been eight years old. But I can remember opening the window, kneeling down, and praying to Heavenly Father that my parents wouldn't drink the next day. Um, it's, it's quite a vivid, I can even still picture it. it was, it's quite a vivid uh, memory that I have. Uh, of course, that... That didn't happen, but at least that was my wish and my desire. So you've mentioned that there was a lot of um, like substances in your home, and that that was a challenge. Um, was that ever able to be resolved, or were they ever, ever able to you know, find help with that, or did that just kind of continue throughout? No, it was not really ever resolved. My father was able to drink and limit his drinking, but he would often bring friends home from work, and I often felt like that was contributed to the problem. My mom had a very, very, very difficult childhood. Her father was an alcoholic and abusive, and mean. And so mom grew up in a home that was 
very, very bad, I guess. I don't know the, mm -hmm. another word to use. But so as a young girl and as a wife and mother, this, this was the history that she, that this was her background. And so when she started drinking as a teenager, and they often say that you can become an alcoholic and my mother was an alcoholic and she could not stop although she did go to AA when I was in high school and tried she had some good partnerships and sponsors and I can remember going to some of the meetings with her which was difficult my father didn't want to go but it was it, it was hard but uh, along with the alcohol mom had all feelings of not being good enough and uh, knew that the things that she had done that were wrong that she was being punished for and that she always said there was a record in heaven that were keeping track of it and so I think this guilt played into all of her life and as she as she got older then it wasn't just alcohol, but it was sleeping pills and pain pills and tranquilizers. And so a combination of those with the alcohol made her so she was um, a not a happy person. It's always been said that you have to love yourself in order to love others. She did not love herself. She didn't know how to love. And um, So she couldn't, she couldn't solve it. And I think the things that she took, she was trying to hide and forget uh, so that she didn't remember. And it, um, it, was a, it was not a happy home and there was not peace or quiet or love. I don't remember my parents ever hugging me or kissing me or telling me they loved me. But there was screaming and fighting, and you can kind of visualize from what you read or what you see on the screen, and that's kind of how how it was. And so, as being resolved, um, it really never was. But she wanted it to be. She didn't want to be the way she was. She didn't want to drink. She didn't want to be this evil, unkind person, but she, she couldn't help it. Mm-hmm. That sounds really hard. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. And it was hard, I think, hard on Stephen because, uh, especially when I, when he was born, I was 12, and so I could rock him, but I have to say, and I've tried to tell Stephen, he was the only child that mother and dad, that mother wanted. That mother planned for and she loved him but as I left and as he grew up things got worse at home and so he he remembers mother in a more negative way than I do and he he can't forget or forgive and I don't have ill feelings towards mom and I don't, I don't know if I ever did but I just I just knew that she did the best she could with what she knew, and she tried. She loved to cook, and she canned with my father, and 
she kept a clean house and she was a clean woman and and she was beautiful but Stephen uh, he he is still at this day still troubled with how it was because I left and then Ralph left and so he was a home and and he had to suffer mm -hmm. the final years yeah I'm sorry that that's really hard um but I I think it's amazing the person that you have become even with the childhood that you had you know I think childhood can affect us a lot in a lot of ways but I know the home that <laughs> you had and the mother and grandmother that you have been and that you still are and I think that it is amazing that you were able to stop that cycle but you you have to remember and we're told at church the spirit is there and the friends I had when we lived on First Avenue and I was that was during the war years they all came from very active families and I I sensed it I could feel it and we had a little club Carolyn Allred, Annetta Sharp, and and um, Anne Cor uh, Carol Mary Corbett, but Annetta Sharp, her grandfather was J. Reuben Clark, so they they lived right around the corner, and so I, even as a young person, I sensed that, I sensed that feeling, and I, I wanted that, I wanted to be around that, and I went to primary, and I went to to young women to yeah to to mutual and um, so that was um, I wasn't always able to maintain it but that's that's what made me happy that's what that was good and and it just has carried through through my older years uh, work or uh, just that sense of Heavenly Father, you, you that that spirit comes through, and that's what what I live by, and that's where you make your choices. And like I said, I didn't always make the right choices, but that was that was what was important. Mm -hmm. So some of your neighbors and the young women's classes and those things helped you through those years. Yeah, sounds like. I was a Sunday school teacher when I was in high school because they, they divided the ward. We lived in the Harvard ward, and they divided the ward, and so all of my friends were on the other side. So on the side I was on, there was, there was no one my age. So that was hard, too, because that, you know, when you're separated that way, that's, that's a hard thing. But I did go, and... Uh, I was baptized and I did go to church. I didn't go to institute or seminary or whatever because no one I associated with went. And that wasn't necessarily something that was stressed at home. Um, I think that becomes a habit, it becomes a way of life, it becomes something that you, a goal that you just do and that wasn't part of my, yeah. Mm. 
Um, were you, did you and your siblings have a good relationship growing up? I think so, pretty good. Uh, I was, of course, older. <laughs> mm. Ralph and I did have a squabble, uh, teased each other, I guess, but we were never in school at the same time because of the difference in our age. So by the time I got to, to high school, and then I left and he was starting, so we were never in high school together. I guess we were in grade school, but you just don't remember three, three and a half years. You're, that's quite a space. So you wouldn't be in classes together or go to school together or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But um, I remember when we, when I lived on First Avenue, and because I guess that we lived there four years, so that was the longest we'd ever lived in the same place. But I can remember Ralph and I would come home after school and lay on the floor in front of the radio. They used to have programs on the radio after school, 3, 3.30, 4 o'clock, Superman and, and Jack Armstrong, and, these, and they were little programs that we would listen to, lay on the floor and color and listen to that. And you could send away for rings or hidden treasures. That was funny. Mm -hmm. And you and Stephen seem to be really close now. I know he visits you every once in a while, and he's in New Hampshire. Is that right? Yes. Um, so you had you and Stephen and Ralph. That's it. That's it. Just okay. the three of us. And I know Ralph has passed away. Yeah. Um, and again, Ralph had the problem with drinking, and so his life didn't turn out well. But again, it was because of alcohol. And mm -hmm. Do you feel like your um, experience with your family with substances, did that, did that make you tempted to use substances, or did that push you away, or how, how did that affect you? I hated it, and I just, uh, I never did. I can't say I've never tasted a drink, but I never drank. I never smoked. Um, I was embarrassed because my mother smoked, and I didn't want my friends to know about it. It didn't seem to matter so much that my father did, but I didn't want my friends to see my mom. And and I can remember again during those years in elementary school that I was never chosen first on the team. I was always chosen last. And no one ever wanted to sit by me in the car. And um, somebody mentioned it to me once. Well, you know, if I could come from a home where there was smoking, I probably smelled that way. And that's probably why they didn't want to sit with me. So I, I'm just guessing that that could have been the reason. I don't know. Um, were there any rules that your parents were specifically strict about? Or were they strict, or were they a little bit more lax? I guess they should have been strict. But um, I think honesty was taught. I think, um, I don't remember lying or stealing or cheating. Although I think I did cheat once in high school on a test. But... Um, 
I just know that they were I guess I, I'm sure that I'm sure they both believed in Heavenly Father but it wasn't publicized published it wasn't talked about it wasn't taught it wasn't emphasized other than what my mother teaching me to say to my prayers but the home teachers were welcome they were called block teachers then and mother didn't want to go to church because she didn't feel worthy and so she didn't feel like she should go for that reason but encouraged encouraged us to go um, <clears throat> they were they were uh, civic-minded. They voted. Uh, I think they were Democrats. My father later worked uptown, and so he knew a lot of people in the police department and in the health department and in the government. <clears throat> um, they never, to me, were racist. They never, I don't remember them ever saying bad things about colored people. Which was that pretty common at that time? Well, it was common in a sense that, like, I worked at the theater as a candy girl. And at that time, if someone was colored or black came in the theater at the Capitol, they had to sit upstairs. And if there wasn't a upstairs, then they sat in the back row of the theater. But also in those those years, they smoked in theaters, so that was different. So we're talking about in the early, in the late 40s, early 50s. <clears throat> but um, in Utah, there weren't a lot of blacks, but um, we did have Marian Anderson, who was an opera singer that came to Salt Lake to perform at the Tabernacle, but she was not allowed to stay at Hotel Utah. But I don't remember my parents ever bad-mouthing them or saying bad things. I, that never happened. So are there any other experiences, either good or bad, um, or memories that have really impacted you throughout your life and have um, that you've remembered? Well, I can always remember as a child and growing up, I never wanted to be like my mom. I just, that, but yet you find that that's how you become. And you don't want to be, but short-tempered and screaming and things like that, you find that that's what you do because that's how you live. But I know I didn't want to be that way, and uh, I didn't like that. Um, I think... Uh, well, okay, I guess one thing that was emphasized was education. My father said, you have to take type and shorthand. And those of all the classes I took, those are the two that I didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> they were hard, and, I, and as I was working, and you had homework every night, and you do pages after page after page of shorthand. And, uh, but I can remember Dad saying, you need to be able to learn that so you can get a job. And so um, because of the lack of money and because of emphasis on working, I started tending children when I was in grade school. And I 
where we lived on First Avenue, there were opportunities to tend during the day and, and also at night. I tended the little boy of Jasbo Collins. I tended the little boy of a couple that was on the radio. She sang and he played the organ. I can't remember their names now, but so I, I was able to earn money. And of course it was 25 cents an hour, which wasn't very much, but that was a lot of money for me. You know, if I would earn a dollar, that would be a lot. And then I did, uh, use that money and I would walk uptown. So that was on first Avenue between D and E street. And I would walk uptown from there by myself and I'd go to Cress's and Woolworth's and I'd buy things for Christmas. And, and then uh, I, one time mom had seen an ad, or I don't know how she found out about it, but somebody had some clothes. And so it was up on like Laird Avenue up, up on a fancy street. And we went to this house to see if there were some clothes that I could fit. And um, the lady had me go in the closet to try this on and I could tell that she thought I was going to steal something which I wasn't but I felt that way and we bought this one skirt that I really liked but it was so big I had to pull away over and pin it with a pin but my mom didn't sew and uh, so that was another thing as I was able to start working that I could buy my clothes and then later on I worked at a I cleaned houses for a lady and then I worked in a motor lodge, which is like a motel. And then once I worked at a laundry, but they said, you're too young. So it was only one day there. So uh, when I was, let's see, I would have been not quite 18. So I, in my senior year, well, let's see, before that. So I started at the Capitol Theater as a candy girl when I was 15. And uh, my dad was always able to get me a job, and anyone a job. Dad could always find, Al Cardwell could always find people a job. He worked uptown, and he knew people, and he had a, he, everybody loved Al. He was called Al, Alden Al, and he just was friendly, and he had a sweet personality, and so he was just able, because of his connections with the Board of Health and the police department, and the government but anyway um i i started there at 15 and i was supposed to be 16 but the, the man says that's okay so anyway i started there when i was 15 and i worked until i was almost 18 as a candy girl at the capitol theater and also utah theater in the center and at the capitol we had little uniforms and i was able to pick out the uniform we did inventory, and I'd go there and work after school, and I'd take the bus and either take the bus up and home. My parents never, or I'd walk home from town at night. My parents would never pick me up or take me, so I had to do it by the bus. So then when I was in high school, my senior year in February of 53, 1953, I went to the telephone company and applied to become a long-distance telephone operator. And so I started training. So we trained February, March, April, May, June until I graduated. And I'd go again, take the bus uptown and uh, 
was trained every night to be a long-distance telephone operator. And then when I graduated in June, then I started full-time. Wow. You've had a long list of jobs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's just them. <laughs> but it was, it was a good job, and it was, it was a good pay and good benefits, but it was very hard. And it was very stressful, and it was a kind of job that everything had to be perfect. You had no, you know, and if you wanted to stand, you had to ask permission. If you wanted to sit, you had to ask for permission. And if I turned to my neighbor and spoke, and the lady would come up, my supervisor, and tap me on the shoulder, there's no talking, Miss Cardwell. Hmm. And then <clears throat> you had to work so many Sundays, and everyone worked Mother's Day and Christmas, and so and then you also got the worst shifts. So you started out with six to ten, and then you're off four hours, and ten to then six to ten to six. So that's how you work: four hours, off four hours, and work four hours. So I just walk around town. Oh wow! Un until it was my time to work again. Oh so. my gosh! And then they wanted you to join the union, and I didn't want to do that. And so some of the ladies, when you'd go to, on break, they would approach you about joining the union. But yeah, if you work the loads that worked there a long time, they had the better shifts. But Wow. So it. So I, I gave my notice. My dad says, well, what kind of a job? Do, and they tried to get me to stay to become a rate operator. And I just said no. And so I'd graduated. So now I'm 18 and a half. My dad says, well, what kind of a job would you like? And I says, well, you know where you pay your insurance? At Metropolitan Life Insurance. And so he says, okay. So he went up there, and they had an opening. <laughs> and so before Christmas... Before the end of the year, I was hired, and so I worked there until I was married and had expecting Warren. So I worked there several years, and that was a good job. Better, a better situation. Yes, <laughs> it was normal hours, and you you worked with public, you worked with money, you had uh, files and accounts, you had to balance every night and balance every week, and and worked with great ladies and men and uh, agents and in fact one of the agents I worked with happened to be your grandfather Orrin Black. So, oh wow. So that was really fun. From the other side of the family. Yeah from the black side and the way way I knew that is that uh, when I went to one of your father Scott's basketball games Orrin came and I said I know you he says I know you and found out that we had worked together at Metropolitan wow. years before. So Orrin Black was my dad's grandfather. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Interesting. Your grandma's father. Yeah. Phyllis's father. Small right? world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did you What did you want to be when you grew up? When you were a child or in high school? I wanted to just get married and have children. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the friends, some of the people not necessarily friends but some went to college and I thought about it but I thought how can I how can I go to college I don't have a car how could I get there and how could I pay for it I'd have to have a job so I just couldn't figure out how I could do it and of course my dad would just emphasize you need to have a job you know so I got a job mm -hmm. but college wasn't would like to have gone, but I couldn't figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, it seems a lot more accessible today <laughs> than it than it was back then. You know what I mean? Well, there's a lot of encouragement from from your teachers, from your parents, and there's a lot of them, and there's 
ways to get scholarships, and probably that could have all been possible then, but I didn't have the angle. I didn't have the connections. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Although I was, I was a good student. I got good grades in school. And, but the one thing I wanted more than anything was to be an a cappella choir. And I was in junior choir, and when, in your senior year, the last half of your senior year, you could go out, go into Mr. Willardson and try out, and I tried out, and I couldn't make it, and I remember leaving the big room crying, and it was, that was something I really wanted to have happen, but mm. it didn't. At least you tried. But I wanted to, that was my... Yeah. Uh, but but that's okay. Yeah. But you you said you got to be in junior choir? But I was in junior choir, yeah. That wasn't mm -hmm. I guess every anybody could be in junior choir, mm -hmm. but not a cappella. You you <laughs> love to sing though. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I love I love choirs. I love to sing. I mm -hmm. love the music. I love cuz it's so pretty and it's it's a pretty part of life. Mm -hmm. I like I like things that were a pretty part of life like the gardening and the flowers and the mountains and singing and and ballet i wanted to ba i wanted to take ballet i wanted to dance when i was a little girl my mother and my aunt doris and grandma would put music on and they'd say patty you get up and dance and i'd get up and dance and they would watch me and say how pretty i was and in first grade in idaho the lady would the teacher would put on music and give us crepe paper we'd dance around the room and with crepe paper but my parents didn't have the money I there was just no fun so my first ballet class was when I was 18 and I was at Metropolitan and I on let's see Main Street Main Street or State Street, State Street. I'd walk from 3rd South and State Street down to, I think it was called Progressive Music. And I had a little suitcase and and I could buy my, pay for my own lesson. So that's, that's how old I was when I took my first ballet class, I was 18 mm, and a half. That's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I had my little shoes. I, I still have my same shoes and the teacher was an older lady, but it was so fun and beautiful, and I loved the music, and I loved the, the gracefulness of it. And mm -hmm. and then you put your, when you had a little girl, you put her in dance. Yeah. Gotta watch and then I, her. <laughs> then I, I can remember, Cassidy, you talk about what did you want. I wanted to marry somebody that could dance. Hmm. I wanted to marry somebody because I wanted to. I never went to school dances when I was in high school, and so I wanted to marry somebody that, that could dance. And you did. And I did. <laughs> <laughs> Which I want to talk. I want to talk about him for sure. Uh, so we'll come back to that. But I'm glad you were able to make that happen. Um, what was your school experience like growing up? You said you were a good student. Um, um, like, did, did that come naturally to you, or did you have to work really hard? Or, Well, the thing that you need to do is have time at night to study, and I was working, and so that, that made it difficult. Uh, I liked um, 
United States history, world history, American problems. One of my favorite classes was psychology. I just thought that was amazing. I just loved that. And it was just a half a year. And then another class I had, which was fun, was physiology taught by Miss Kaplan. And she would write everything on the board in longhand. Three sides of the whole classroom on chalkboard and then she would go over it and talk about it and it was really fun and she became one of Jay's admirers she would go to his plays in fact I've got a little note that she wrote about one of his plays it's in his book uh, I liked English Mr. Wyson was my English teacher and one time we had to give we had to read a book and then give an oral report or an oral segment of that book. And I read The Robe, and I stood up in front of the class and gave the scene where he's confronted with The Robe, and it's it was a great read. I loved reading the book, and I read it more than once. And anyway, when I finished, he complimented me afterwards and said that I had a talent for that. And said that I should make choices that way, but again, it just didn't, you know. But I did, I took algebra. Um, I didn't particularly care for gym. I didn't like to have to dress and undress in front of people. Uh, that was a hard thing to do. I did do my homework, but I didn't like it. I didn't like I didn't like uh, type and shorthand, mm -hmm. but I liked the history classes and I liked the English class. Um, one thing that was hard in high school is that, that in those years, Joyce shoes and Janssen sweaters were the whole rage. And you wore, we dressed very nice in school, uh, full skirts and the boys wore gabardine pants and Stradivari shirts and shoes and wingtips and and so these sweaters these Janssen sweaters came in all different colors and all different styles so they'd be a pullover or they'd be a vest or they'd be a cardigan and those that had money could buy them and those that could buy joy shoes but I couldn't so I bought me one sweater and I don't think I ever had joy shoes so that was hard then in high school to not to not be one of the wheels, the big wheels, to be popular, to not have a lot of friends, and um, that was hard. Mm -hmm. You called it big wheels. Yeah, they were the wheels. <laughs> <laughs> was that just like the popular group of yeah, the time? Yeah, they were the wheels, mm -hmm. the clicks, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, you kind of mentioned growing up during World War II earlier. Um, how did this, how had this impacted your family? Uh, things were rationed. We had a book that had, that was rationed. And I can remember waiting to go to the store to get, uh, mayonnaise. And you had to have so many stamps. And of course, it's not only that, but they it wasn't available. And you couldn't buy butter. 
And so you bought margarine, and it came, it looked like lard. It was white, and it came in a big lump, and it was, and you had put it out in a bowl till it softened, and it had a little thing that you punch that was orange, and then you would mix it. And then you would shape it like the shape of butter and put it in the fridge. We ate Chef Boyardee, and I could cook that. Um, so, uh, so like, women couldn't buy nylons. So f food was rationed. A lot of things was rationed. My father was drafted, but because of his stomach, he had bad stomach ulcers. Then he was 4F, so he didn't have to go to war. But... Uh, my friends and I had a little club, and we met once a week, and we'd take our little wagon, and we'd go door to door. There were a lot of apartments up on the avenues, and we'd go, and people would take like a soup can or a can that had vegetables in, and you'd take the paper off, and you'd take the top and the bottom off and flatten it. And so that was the war effort that we collected those, and then foil off of gum, and and so that we had this little club, and we met at the different homes and have, had a meal. And, and it was going to be my turn to have it at my house. And um, my mother, I, I wanted to do it. My mother would do it, but it meant because she smoked, and so I'd ask her not to. And But she made homemade chili, and we had homemade chili and root beer. And she made the best chili, and I can remember... She had a card table that she put in front of the couch, so there were just four of us because we didn't have a bedroom. Well, we had one bedroom, but my brother and I slept on the couch in the front room. So that was good, uh, successful, I thought. Uh, they all had bicycles, and I didn't have a bicycle, but they, they shared with me. They, we, they would take turns. Mm-hmm. That's neat. Did you guys put this club together like yeah. yourselves as friends? Yeah. And what would you do with the cans? Well, then they're turned in to the war effort. They're turned in. They probably had a somewhere you would take them or they would be picked up. I, I don't remember that part. Mm -hmm. But everyone did it in the whole world, the United States. And mm -hmm. so it was a it was a big it was a big thing. Yeah. Neat. That's really cool to hear about. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so your dad was drafted, but he didn't end up having to go to war. Which, was that a relief? Oh, I'm sure it was, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he had very bad stomach. He had ulcers, and so he couldn't mm -hmm. go. But he had, but that was probably towards the end of the war, because in the beginning they were drafting 17 and 18-year-olds, and they were the boys that were joining up and so by that time dad would have had two children mm -hmm. so the fathers wouldn't have gone as soon as the single boys and your brothers weren't old enough to go at that time no they were just well yeah. Stephen Stephen was born in 1947 so that was after the war mm -hmm. and then Ralph of course he was just yeah. he was born in 35 he was born in 38 1938 so yeah mm-hmm and I don't remember that his any of his brothers went because they were all older than him. Dad was the last child of seven children. So when he came along, Grandma was 
in her 40s, I remember. And so all his brothers and sisters had already been married and gone. So mm -hmm. they were older. I had one last question regarding your family and your parents. Um, kind of switching gears, but were your parents considered, like, would you consider them abusive? Or was it just a little... Just verbally. Rough? Just mm -hmm. verbally. Yeah. So that's hard. That's really hard. Yeah, they, we weren't... They did not hit each other, and they didn't hit us. Yeah. But... Because... Mm -hmm. But... Physically, but verbally, verbally mm -hmm. and emotionally abusive. Mm -hmm. How did you, um, again, like in your own relationships and in your own parenting, like how do you feel like you were able to rise above that? Because I know that you were an incredible mother and you are an incredible grandmother. So well, there's there's a, a lot to be desired on those parts but again I did the best I could mm -hmm. I learned a lot from Janet my sister-in-law I learned a lot from friends when I went to church when we started going to church I learned a lot watching them listening to them I learned a lot from Relief Society mm -hmm. um, um I did. I re I did reading. I took notes. I listened. I I knew what was right. I've always known what was right. What was wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but I was I was harsh. I think at times I was harsh. Sometimes there's reasons for that. But um, I loved my kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you are an amazing, amazing example to me of love and kindness. And I've learned more as a grandmother, I think, again. I, I, but again, it's observing others. Mm -hmm. I've learned watching your mom. I, I don't remember ever playing with your mother like she plays tea parties and dolls. I don't remember doing that with mm -hmm. your mom when she was growing up. I was very concerned about the house. Mm -hmm. I didn't have, growing up, I didn't have a home really or a room or a fancy bedroom. I slept on the studio couch. And and uh, so when we finally was able to build our house and have a home, it just meant a lot to me. And it was important to keep it clean. And so I was strict that way I guess and so instead of taking an hour or two sitting on the floor playing paper dolls um, I would have been more apt to clean but I didn't know how yeah yeah <laughs> I did have paper dolls when I was uh, eight years old I had Rita Hayworth paper dolls and Greer Garson that's the kind you had to cut out okay and the only dolls I remember are the two that my aunt gave me when I was eight, and they're storybook dolls that I gave to your mother. But um, but your mom sure knows how to do it. She does. She, she is incredible. And when she tends children, she doesn't clean the house or do the dishes. 
she's on the floor playing with them or taking them to the park. That's that's a mother. Oh. That's that's so I you know even in my older age I've I've learned from her and from from uh, friends and from the church mm -hmm. and the church teaches us great things. Mm -hmm. Callings, working with women, being in presidencies. We, you know, they they teach the basics along with the gospel and about Heavenly Father and Jesus. They they teach us how to live and it's you know how to keep things clean and you know that's mm -hmm. that. There's a lot out there that teaches us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, television teaches us us yeah. things. You know. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I had an apartment, it was clean. It was, I had an apartment in California. The floor was, it had, the tar would come up between the seams. And I can remember being on the floor trying to scrub that all clean. And, and yeah, I kept the house clean. Although I did, I did a lot with Warren because I had him alone for four years. And I didn't have a car. So I would walk uptown with him in his stroller in, in Anaheim and, Mm -hmm. Well, again, I think it's amazing because we all just know what we know. And we all come from different backgrounds and different homes. And, you know, so you did the very best with what you had been raised with. And you did the very best with what you knew. And I think that that's incredible. And I know that you did an amazing job because all of your children are successful and happy and have loving you know relationships and so they all work hard mm -hmm. they, they all, do they all work very hard so i think that's a testament to you know they've learned from you and that you know you did a great job you're a great mother oh thank you i wanted to be yeah i think that you were definitely um i would love to hear about how you met your husband Jay Kirk, <laughs> how you met him, and just kind of a little bit about your love story. Well, <clears throat> Jay and I lived in the same stake. We weren't in the same ward, but we were in the Liberty Stake. I lived on Harvard Avenue. I lived on Belmont Avenue in the Harvard Ward, and he lived on 3rd East. And that could have been the 2nd Ward or the 8th Ward, I don't know, but it was all the Liberty Stake. And... Um, back in junior high, we had dances after school. And so one time he asked me to dance with him at a school dance. And so we would have been, what, not 16, 15, 14, 13. Mm -hmm. I don't know how old you are when you're in. And it was Lincoln Junior High. And we won the contest. Then during that same period of time, they had a club down by Dirks Field, which was called Boys and Girls Elks Club. And you could go there after school and they would have, or you could probably buy a drink, soda pop, or they had, maybe they had a shuffleboard or pool or something. But on Thursdays, they had a dance, Thursday night. And every other week was an orchestra, and then the other week was records. 
So my friends and I, from high school that we lived in this area, we would go there Thursdays to, to the dance. But dancing back then was a big deal. It was a big deal in church. They had dances, mutual nights. And if your ward didn't have a dance, then you'd go to another ward where there was a dance. And so there was always a dance in, in, in the church. And in high school, of course, they had them. But then this Elks Club. And so again, he had, Jay asked me to dance at this, and we won the contest. So I had I danced with him there those two nights. We're not dating; we're just young kids at the time. Mm -hmm. And then uh, at our ward, we used to have ward shows Friday nights, and they'd have a six thirty show and then an eight thirty show, and they'd have it in the gym, and they'd have a movie, and it would be on the big screen, and it would be I don't know, I can't remember what kind of movies they were. The kids were naughty. We were loud and moved the chairs. And so this guy would get up and he'd turn the lights off and scream and yell at us and be quiet or we're going to stop the movies. And, and I don't remember if it cost us to go. It might have been a little bit, but uh, you could buy candy. Hmm. And so one night, and then, and then the second show would be for the older kids, but the teenagers are worse than the other ones, you know, as far as talking and misbehaving. <laughs> he'd get up there and turn the lights off and yell at us again. Well, this one particular night, we were the sh the show had ended, and I was walking home, and he Jay had left before I did, and I had to walk a couple of little blocks. They were little blocks then; they were not big blocks like we had, but they were little. And it was dark. It was very very dark. And we had these huge trees. And I didn't want to walk on the sidewalk under these huge trees. So I walked in the street under the big trees. But you couldn't see anything because the street lights were at the end of the street. And I lived in the middle. So I was walking down the street. And all of a sudden, Jay had gone ahead of me and climbed up into this tree and jumped down in front of me and scared me to death. Oh my I thought I was going to die. And he just stood there and laughed and laughed and laughed. He thought that was so funny. And I just screamed and <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> Here he thinks he's being cute and funny. And yeah, he thought you yeah, were. Yeah, he and, and in our married life there was a time or two that he's scared and I, I don't like to be scared. I'm I'm I don't I'm not a party to that. But <laughs> anyway, that's what happened. Well, in high school... Was he trying to be cute? Like, did he talk to you afterwards? No, or? he just laughed. He oh just thought gosh. it was funny. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he just thought to jump down and scare me to death. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember talking anything. I just remember. And he was laughing and I was screaming because oh I was so scared. <laughs> but then in high school, he went with a girl by the name of Helen Maxwell. And they went together the whole time. And I went with somebody else in high school. So we never dated in okay. high school. And it was, let's see, we graduated in 53. I was working at the Capitol building. The next year, 54, 55. It must have been sometime in the, in the summer of 55. Because I was dating other, dating other boys and... Uh, 
you could go to the Rainbow Rendezvous, or it was the terrace uptown, and they had big dancers, big people came. Stan Kenton came, who was a great orchestra, and I got to see him, and, um, oh my gosh, Nat King Cole. I got to see Nat King Cole, and you were supposed to be 16 to go there, and so you danced, and there was drinking. I didn't drink, but there was drinking then, and, uh, but it was just a huge room with the stage, and the chairs were on the outside, and then the center was where they danced. So I went there, and then uh, Lagoon had dances Monday nights, 10 cents, and they always had an orchestra. So I was at Lagoon on this particular Monday night with a boy dancing, and Jay saw me, and he called me because it wasn't the boy I had dated in high school. So he called me and asked me if I would go out with him. And I said, well, I'm going on a trip, which was true. So I did a couple of trips. I went down the Colorado River. And I think I think that might have been that. Yeah, that was. And so I said, call me when I get back. Hmm. So when I got back, he thought I was just Putting him off. Putting him off, mm-hmm. but it was a true thing. So he called me back and and then invited me to go to a, on a date to a dance, which was the Old Mill, which is just down over the hill from where we live now. And they had dances, and it was outside, and it was September 1955. And we danced under the stars, and we fell in love that night. Oh, we really did. That's so cute. It was, I could do, whatever he did, I could follow him. Yeah. And he would, we'd go out and we'd come back in and we'd twirl and whatever it was that we did, I could follow him. And and I mentioned that that night when we took me home, he asked if he could kiss me. And then I had one other date after that with somebody else because uh, I already had the date, I guess. But then from then on, I never went out with anyone else again, and and within a month, we were engaged. Oh, wow. He took me up to uh, the University of Utah by Fort Douglas, and we were sitting in the car, and he, he asked me if I would like to spend the rest of my life with him. Mm-hmm. And I said yes. And then a week later, he gave me my ring. But we he had taken me to uh, Hotel Utah at the top, had a where the restaurant is now it was called the starlight gardens and it was dancing in orchestra and dinner and he had taken me up there and then uh on the main floor there's a a room just off of where the cafe is now or the little nauvoo cafe it's called the empire room and we went there and this was i think we'd we'd been dating like a month and it was an orchestra and dinner, and it was a very fancy place. And he he asked the orchestra leader to play I'm in Love With You, Honey. And then he sang it to me as we danced. Oh, that's so, so sweet. So um, that was September of 1955. And then he had, he had signed up to become a jet pilot, and he had gone to Ogden, Hill Air Force Base, and taken the test twice, and he had passed them. So he was 
set ready to ship out in January of 56. And he left and went to Lackland Air Force Base, but Grandpa had a history of migraine headaches, and they came back while he was in training, and they found out he could not be a pilot and had migraines. And so he had to wait till he was discharged, so we just wrote back and forth for several weeks, maybe three months, and then he came home, I think, in March with an honorable discharge, a medical discharge. And then we were married in September of 56. September okay, so the 8th. a year later. Mm-hmm. 56. Mm-hmm. Was he disappointed that he wasn't able to Extremely. serve? He was, yeah. Extremely. Because that's, that's what he wanted. That was his goal, his life. He wanted to fly. He wanted to be a pilot. He wanted to be a jet pilot. And But he was in college before he left because Grandpa, in high school, was a football player and a cheerleader and uh, a tumbler when he was in acapella. And he got a scholarship to go to the university in football. And then when he went up to football, uh, they had training and workouts, you know, hard ones every night, whatever. And he was late this one time and because he had to work Mm -hmm. and the coach balled him out. He just says, okay. And he left. Wow. Yeah. He says, I won't, you know, he wasn't going to put up with that. So he left and focused on dance. Mm-hmm. And dance became his minor. Physical education was his major. So he was in college, had started college two years or more before he went into Lackland Air Force Base. So when he came back, then he just continued with, with, uh, college, graduated in 58, and danced the whole time. And he worked, Mm -hmm. he worked, uh, I worked full-time at Metropolitan, and he worked full-time at Peter Pan Bakery, and he would drop me off at work, and then he'd go to school, and then he'd pick me up after work, and then he'd go to work, so he worked nights at the bakery. Mm -hmm. Um, What college did he attend? He went to the University of Utah. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And what kind of, so you said he, his minor was physical education? His major was physical education. And his so minor he became, was dance. So he became a teacher. He was okay. a teacher. Mm-hmm. And then his minor was speech or dance. And so he danced all through college. And he was in all the plays that they did and all the dancing that they did. And that's when it was, it was not Ballet West. It was the University of Utah Ballet Company. Mm. But Mr. C., Christensen, William Christensen, was the head of the ballet department at the University of Utah. And then when it became Ballet West, then William Christensen left the university and he became the director of Ballet West at the Capitol Theater. But Dad never danced, Grandpa never danced at the Ballet West, but he did dance at the University of Utah. Mm -hmm. What kind of um, plays did he do? Oh, he's in. You'll someday you'll have to look at his book. He, he and and then uh, he was in um, West Side Story was his last his last show, but years ago they did summer shows at the University of Utah, which which was in the at the stadium, and so the state the north end of the stadium was where they would sit, where the audience would sit. 
and then they built a stage, a huge, a huge stage in July on the football field. And they did an opera like they would do Aida, and then they would do Carousel. Mm. So they did two of them every summer, and he was in all of those. Oh. Like Annie Get Your Gun, he was in that one. And West Side Story was the last one, and then he was in... I can't remember all of them. The Nutcracker? The Nutcracker, he did that. Mm -hmm. at the Yeah, he was he was El Drosselmeyer, and he was the Arabian, and he was, uh, the, in the beginning, he was like one of the couples that dance at the beginning as the, the couples. Mm -hmm. And then he was the clockmaker, the Drosselmeyer. He did that, and then he did the Arabian, and he did the Russian. And so he did that. Well, he, in fact, uh, one of the dates I had before Jay and I got started was with Tommy Bartlett, and he took me to the ballet, and, and Jay had danced that night. Hmm. You always wanted to marry someone who could dance. I did. You did. <laughs> Isn't that silly to be have no. something so important to me, but. I think that's amazing. But be, because that's what we did, you know, mm -hmm. in junior high and high school, we went to dances. Yeah. And so that was a, that was a, and I could dance. I was good. And yeah. the, the girls I had, let's see, there was four of us and then three would go to Marge Elbin's house and she had a Victrola that she had to turn and she'd put the records on and we danced with each other and learned how to dance, do mm -hmm. the, the pivot and the run around and. Things like that. So you never got to do ballet until you were older, but you did. It sounds like you did dance quite a lot through different avenues and things like that. That that's awesome. Yeah, ballroom dancing and mm -hmm. just going to dances. Yeah, that's so fun. So um, he so for work. I know you said he was a teacher. He was a swim coach. He did the plays. Um. So when he graduated in 58, Warren was born in February of 58. And in April of 58, he graduated, June of 58, he graduated from the University of Utah with his bachelor degree and his teaching certificate. And the first job was Anaheim, California. Mm -hmm. So Warren was six months and we went to Anaheim. We were there a year and then we came back and Grandpa got his first master's. And then he wrote about gymnastics. And then we went back to California. And he was teaching in a junior high. He was teaching. He was a, he was a PE teacher. He taught gymnastics. And he had a little club where he taught them tumbling, trampoline, and dance. The kids after school. And uh, then when we came, when we went, well, let's see, because when Warren was... Because uh, Jay was an elder, we we were living in Janet and Earl's ward, and Janet and Earl—that's his brother—they were very active, and they were young women president and young men president, and they got Jay involved in the road show, and so he was dancing in the road show. Well, they said because he was professional. That he was disqualified. Well, he wasn't professional. He was just teacher. But yeah. anyway, he became an elder, 
and then Warren was baptized, or he was blessed. But when we went to California the first time, we didn't go to church. We didn't go to church. And But he was gone all the time to school. He had a car. And after school, he took dance classes in Hollywood. Oh, wow. And I wanted to go up. And he says, there's no way you can go. So why he, just he said there's no he says there's no place for you to sit. I don't know what he what the reason was, but he said you couldn't. There's no way that you could go. So he would leave school and go to Hollywood and take classes in jazz and and uh, and so I was alone long, and I didn't have a car. Yeah, and we I didn't go to church, so it was those were rough times. Mm-hmm. But um, so then. We came back, and by that time, Warren was old. So we came, we moved back to Salt Lake again. And we lived behind a barber shop across the street from the Ward House that Janet and Merle lived in. And so we, we became active in church. And the thing that got me going was Relief Society. And it was held during the week. And of course, I'd go with Janet, and the lessons were just phenomenal. You just history and, and all different kinds. They weren't the same thing every time. And then you'd always have a luncheon, and then you'd do bazaars, and you'd do quilts, and it was so fun and encompassing. And just, I just felt like I was a part of something that was good. So when we moved back to California, so then, he, so then when we were back the second time, he got his second degree in Master of Fine Arts. Well, no, that's not true either. I have to, that was later. So anyway, we had come home. I guess that's when he got his first master's degree. Then we went back to California. I can see it in the books that I have, but sometimes I get, I forget the, the year and the timeline. Okay. But when we went back the second time, Warren was two, and the first thing I wanted to do was go to Relief Society. So I got to Relief Society, and they didn't have a ward yet. We met in a warehouse. And I went in, and Miss Sister Griffin came up and introduced myself herself to me, and this would have been like August or September, new, the new school year, and I just loved Relief Society. I loved the women. Paula Shively was a counselor. Marilyn Brush was the president, and Jane Goodmanson was the the secretary. Well, I was immediately called as a secretary of Relief Society. That was my first presidency. Come Sunday in January, Jay was not going to church. But you were. I was going. Mm-hmm. And um, knock on the door, and it was the elders' quorum president and his counselor. And we were just sitting there, and it's so fun to listen to Jay tell the story. He says, I was just going to sit down. We were going to watch the Harlem Globetrotters, and Pat had fixed this great dinner, and we were going to sit down. And, and there's a knock at the door, and there's the elders' quorum president. Anyway, they come in, and they challenge him to gain a testimony to read the Book of Mormon. And he says, you're an elder. You're not upholding your priesthood. And they were big men, converts, 
one was a linesman, another one was, you know, and they they loved him into the church. They And every time he'd go to church, their arms were around him. They'd tell him how much they loved him. It was different in California. The church was different. The way they responded to one another and loved one another because everybody had come from everywhere. And so that was your family. That's, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, so uh, come May, April, May, we went to, the, yeah, because May, uh, he was called to be a state missionary. We went to the temple May the 10th, 1961. To be sealed. To be sealed. Warren was three. Janet and Earl came from Salt Lake. And then the Shivelys were there and the Huddlestons were there. And we were sealed in the Los Angeles temple. May he was called to be a state missionary. And, and back then it was every night. Oh, wow. Every night and, and then Sundays. Oh. And his companions, they would teach him the gospel. They, they spent when they weren't teaching and he had baptisms. McIntosh is one of our dear friends, Wayne and Roberta McIntosh. He baptized Wayne. And so he would sit in the car with Brother Miles and Ed Miles, and he was taught the gospel. And so we active. We did things with Shibley's. We went to the temple and and then we wanted another baby and that wasn't happening. And my neighbor, she said, you need to take Neolife vitamins. <laughs> so we Was both, that just a brand? Yeah. Vitamins? Okay. She sold. <laughs> oh, okay. She sold them. And so we, anyway, we got pregnant and then David was born the next year in 62. And then we came home the next year in 63. We moved back. Okay. So. Did you enjoy living in California? Or? I loved it. Yeah. I didn't want to come back oh. because the happiness was there. Yeah. The happiness was there. The, and they loved Jay and he loved them. And he was, he was, a, he was a good member and, and, uh, I had these close friends, and it was just the best place to be, you know. Mm -hmm. But he didn't want the, the, the kids live raised there. He says, I don't want them in the schools here. I don't like the smog, and I miss the seasons, miss family. Mm -hmm. So we moved back yeah. and lived with his parents for a year while Earl built our home. Wow. This home that you currently live in. We moved back in 63. We moved into our home in May 23rd of 1964. And then wow. Alan was born two weeks later. So it only took one year to build this home? Well, Earl says it'll only take three months. Oh. If, if you know, he says we should be able to do it in three months. But by the time we moved back, we had to find a lot. We had to find an architect. We had to get a loan, mm -hmm. and 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 so he he poured the basement in November when President Kennedy was assassinated mm. of '63. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and so Earl built the home. Built the home. And Jay helped him. Wow. But but Grandpa did the basement. Yeah. He did everything. He didn't do the brick, mm -hmm. but he did the, all the walls. The he did all of the wiring. He did 
He did all the paneling. Wow. The only thing that was finished in the basement was the bathroom. And then we had the petitions for the walls, but the kids would skateboard down here and play and run. And because <laughs> mm -hmm. it was finished base, I mean, it was, fit, you know, the cement, cement floor, and yeah. I'd, I'd mop it, and it was clean, and so. <laughs> Wow, that's pretty amazing. And you've lived here ever since. Yep. I love this home. <laughs> I do, too. It's a very me. comfortable, cozy home, so. Yep. Okay, so after you got married, um, what was it like? Did you work? I know you, you had Warren pretty soon after you got married, a year later. Well, we were married in 56, and he didn't come until February 58, so I worked okay. all that time until, back then, you didn't work uptown until after five months. You okay. never saw women pregnant uptown. Okay. So, and then I had him, and then we went to California. Right. And so, okay. then I didn't work again until, well, your mom would have been five, four, five years old, three or four. And, and Grandpa said that you've just got to go to work. you got to get a job. And I says, okay. And so I called Metropolitan, and they happened to have an opening, and I was set to go. And I just couldn't. I just says, I can't. I can't leave the kids. Mm -hmm. And so I called, and so I never did. But what I did is I, get, I got a part-time job at the school. First, I was a playground supervisor and your mom would come with me and would be out there during the summer just during lunchtime and then when it was cold then she could go in and stand in the kindergarten and they'd let her do that and then I had a lady that was a dear friend and she could go over there too but I did that and then I went inside and became a teacher's aide and then I went down to Butler Middle School, and that's when I worked in the resource, and I loved that. I loved, because you work, like, what, 17 hours a week, something like that. And, of course, you're, you're home when the children are home, and you're home during the summer. And so it was just perfect. I didn't leave the children. I was, and, I, and when they get home from school, I would be home. So that was great. And it wasn't a lot of money, but it helped. Mm-hmm. Is that why uh, Grandpa wanted you to go back to work, just because you needed the money? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, because we needed the money. You know, they make, teachers make such little m amounts of money then. and He was working so hard, and our house payment was only $125, but it just, you know, you got to make, you got to make money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and, and he did. He did anything extra that he did, like when he was assistant football coach, they'd give him a stipend. It was called maybe $300. And then when he worked at uh, Promise Valley Playhouse, he's a, either as a choreographer or as a director, he would maybe get 300 or $600. But, you know, for three months of work or six months of work, that's not very much money. And yeah. he did that at night after his regular job. So... We just, you know, and the children were getting older, and uh, yeah, Phys financially, it would have been better if I'd have worked. Yeah, but you wanted to stay home with your kids. I wanted to be home. I just, and it was interesting after Jay passed away, and I, 
got a full-time job. And by that time, Alan was a senior and he said, mom, you're never home. So even though he's a, a senior, 17, 18 years old, he missed me not being there when he got home. Yeah. So that was, that was a sweet comment that I, you know, just mothers need to be home with their kids and that's where I wanted to be anyway. Mm-hmm. And I liked, I liked being a homemaker. I liked doing sewing and washing and cooking and, and canning. And I liked all those things. Mm-hmm. You enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed. I loved seeing the finished product. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was married life for you? Did you enjoy being married? What were there challenges? I mean, every marriage has challenges, but I guess what were some of the, the things you enjoyed and some of the challenges that you faced just as a marriage unit? I think the, I think the hard thing was the fact that Jay was gone so much. And that was partly why it was hard being a mother because Well, it's a hard job. Yeah. It's a hard job. And when you're doing it 24-7 all the time, and because he would leave in the morning at 6 at the latest, and the earliest he would get home would be 6.30. But then if he was still at the pool, it could be 10.30. But if he's in rehearsals, it could be 10 or 11. Or if he was in a show, 12. So he he just wasn't he wasn't here and so that was hard it was the loneliness was hard and and I found and I find still yet that um, I need affection I need to be told that I'm loved that I'm important that I'm needed um, that's the same now as it was then. And Jay's philosophy was, when we get married, I'll have my life, and you'll have your life, and then we'll have a life together. Hmm. So, you know, his interests and hobbies. But I was too possessive and uh, unsure. And... Sometimes in life and sometimes in a relationship, you learn things later than what you should. You learn things sometimes too late. And uh, we're all such individuals. We're all so different, and we come from different backgrounds, and our needs are what my needs are different than what your needs are. What my needs were were different than what Jay's needs were. And... So since he's been gone, I've learned a lot about him and about me that I wish I could do again. I wish I could go back. I wish I could write him a letter. I wish I could sit across the room and talk to him. I wish I could welcome him home from work at night. And I think women, me, women forget their husbands leave in the morning. They come home from work. Uh... Do you give them attention? Do you thank them for what they've done? 
you are so involved with the meal, the dinner, the house, the children, that the, that the husband doesn't become number one. And, um, and, I, and if I could go back now, and I would be standing at the sink doing dishes or fixing dinner, and Jay would come in the door, now I would say, wow, it's so good to have you home. I'm so glad you're here. I'll bet it's been a hard day. Tell me about it, or later let's talk about it. I would want to know about his day, how this swim meet went. Did you lose? Was that hard? Uh, he got a lot of teasing and stuff from the different coaches and they didn't, different teachers and a lot of things that were said, I guess, that were hard. And he's, he says, when I come home, he didn't want to be teased or harassed. He wanted to feel like home was a safe place, mm -hmm. which it should be. And, but you're so, I'm so involved with my needs and my day and the kids that you forget. And whether a husband is working at home or whether he's working on the job or you forget just what they have to go through. And I think, um, my aunt, Jay's aunt, gave me a thought many years ago because we would talk often at Melba, Meekham at Melba. And she said to me, and it was a, a thought that had come to her from her mother, love begins when another's needs are more important than your own. And I think so often we are so involved and caught up in our own needs on our own wants and our own desires and our own interests and activities that we forget that other person. And that can be true in a marriage. It can be true, true with children. It can be true, true with relationships with sisters or brothers or friends. Um, I just think that I, I could be, I know I would be a different wife now. I would, I would, it would just be different. And I've just learned things about him as I look back on what those years were like. I just realize things now that I didn't realize then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love that you said the quote, um, love begins when the other person's needs come first. That's really you know that's what a mother does with a child yeah you know but um and then jay is and was the kind of person that he would have reciprocated more i think mm. but uh there was something going on there that i wasn't aware of that that made it difficult. And, and I, I find, I found that when our relationship wasn't perfect, it would be harder with me and the children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something going on there, meaning like maybe depression. You, you know, or... I, I always thought, I always thought that Jay was an extrovert. Mm. 
we'd go to a party, we'd go, <laughs> his, his grandmother turned 80 in Orem, and we went down there, and all the aunts and uncles, and the, you know, it was a big group, and Jay was always the life of the party. He was up standing, talking, saying something, laughing, and, and everybody else was laughing, and Grandma Meekum, <laughs> she came in, and she put her hands over ears, Jay, you're too loud. And uh, so he was like that with mm -hmm. his uncles. And he, and even with a small group like on Thanksgiving at his mom and dad's house, he would come up with something and talk about, he talked about his razzing when he was away at flight training and what ha what happened and things like that. But as I, as time went on and as I knew him more and maybe even since he's been gone, he was really an extrovert. He really, he really had a lot of doubts about himself. He was really an introvert. An introvert. An introvert. Okay. Did, what did I say? You I said, said the wrong thing. He was thing. really an extrovert, but he, deep he, down, he, he was an introvert. Okay. Yeah. And I and and he and he said to me because I mentioned that to him once. He says, "You finally realize that." So his outgoingness was his way of. Covering it up? Hmm. Is that how you yeah. would say it? Yeah. Interesting. But he he had so many talents and so many abilities, and he was so gifted physically, his talent, his ability. He was very smart. You give him a Sunday school lesson, he doesn't need to read it. Just give him a subject. He could read it, and then he could give up and get in, in his talks or a, a lesson. It was just, yeah. But um, we had a good marriage. I think our last six months was maybe one of the happiest times because we forgot ourselves and we thought of the other person. Hmm. Yeah. Even President Peterson that spoke at the funeral, he said he noticed how we had changed in those six months, how how he noticed a difference in us. And I you you do that. You just get so involved in your own needs and wants and interests and desires that you just forget to look outward. Mm. And uh, but uh, we had a lot of fun together. We did some trips together, and but because I was kind of an introvert, a, um, one of the friends in junior in grade school, she said, "You have a inferiority complex," mm. and I was just. In grade school. Wow. And she said that to me. So that's kind of me. Hmm. And um, it makes it so you're not comfortable around people. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people are introverts. And, yeah. You know, sometimes they hide it, like maybe yeah. change it or, you know, but I think a lot of people are introverts. And that's okay, you know. Well, <laughs> yeah. Hmm takes all kinds to make this world. Yeah, it does. 
but uh but yeah we we love babies we love children we loved being married uh jay loved the babies he says i wish we could always have a baby in the house mm. we could have had more he was a good father he was um strict yeah but he wanted them to be perfect And were you on the same page, or was he overly strict, or were you guys usually, like, on the yeah, same page? Usually he was more strict than I would have said. You know, yeah. he was harsh, harsh with him, but um, I think we agreed on most things. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't take advantage of him. I didn't go buy things. I didn't go in debt to buy furniture you know I never did things like that I respected him that way and he didn't put limitations on me I mean I just realized this is what we had this is what we go with right. you know mm -hmm. we, I worked with what we had yeah hmm. um I would love to hear about your journey as a mother um you said you and him both loved babies and wanted children um so you had four children Warren, David, Alan, and Elisa. I would have had more if we could have. Yeah. Hmm. Um, what? And I think his greatest love were, were his children. Yeah. I think, I think at times I think he stayed here because of the children. Yeah. What did you learn, like, from being a mother, and um, what were some of your favorite memories? Well, you have to go back and think of the time frame, because mm -hmm. Warren is now 64. Back then, daddies didn't step in. Mm. They didn't help bathe the babies. Well, Jay might have helped with bathing the babies, mm -hmm. but they didn't change diapers. They didn't rock them. They, didn't, they weren't the ones that took them out at church. The mothers yeah. were. And that's how Jay was, too. Although, I'm sure there were times that he had to change the baby if I was gone. But they, they, don't, they, don't, they didn't do then what they do now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, therefore, a mother does have the responsibility of, of the physical up care of the, mother, of the child, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what were some of your favorite memories or things that you've learned from being a mom or even some of the challenges i've tried to think of anything negative <laughs> i can't i just think of you know being pregnant was the best part to me i had four pregnancies and i was healthy and strong and i looked pretty it was it was a physically for me that was the greatest time of my life was to be pregnant hmm. and carry a child yeah. That was you it felt was, pretty. I felt pretty, I looked pretty and it wasn't it wasn't a dread. Yeah. My deliveries were hard cuz they were all C-sections, but um I did fine. I didn't have uh complications. The kids were all healthy. And um I keep forgetting your question, I guess. Just you're yeah, great. Just uh <laughs> Well, I liked, I liked, yeah. I liked being a mother. I liked making the quilts. I liked making little nightgowns. Mm -hmm. I liked sewing for them. 
Uh, I liked fixing up their room and when and I did all the washing, they, they didn't do their own things. I wanted to teach the boys how to do their laundry and their ironing, but Jay said, no, that's, hmm. that's what you do. Oh, interesting. <laughs> but I wanted them to learn so that when they went on their mission, that they would know how to do that. Yeah. But somehow they, they knew. Okay. Uh, but um, so I I would do their wash and fold their clothes and I'd put them in their drawers and I, their drawers were straight and everything was organized. <laughs> but that's just kind of how it was, which seemed normal to me. Uh, you know, I had a house, I had rooms. I didn't have that yeah. growing up, and and cupboards and dishes and stuff, and so. Um, I liked dressing them. I, I liked having their pictures taken. It was difficult to take them shopping for school clothes when I had four of them or to get their picture taken because your mother, Elisa, would just carry on and she wouldn't smile and she would cry. And so to have her picture taken was a real job. <laughs> But to go shopping to take those three boys, we'd go to Sears and buy tough skins, tough, tough Levi's that were, t oh, tough skins or something like that. We didn't, I didn't have a lot of money to buy expensive things. Yeah. And so the kids then, a lot of Warren's friends would have fancy, expensive clothes, and that was hard. But we didn't have it, so I bought pennies or Sears, mm -hmm. and they looked nice and they were clean and and um but it was a challenge to take them shopping and jay wouldn't go shopping i mean i had to do that you know he was at work or at a play or something and so um but it was it was fun to do that um i i wish i'd have played with them more they went outside and played with trucks in the dirt because we had dirt here, sand and dirt. And but I didn't do I didn't go play cars or trucks with them, but they did. I didn't play dolls with Elisa, but she did. Mm -hmm. She wanted another baby. She wanted a baby sister, and I says, "Honey, we can't have another baby." Well, why not? I says, "Well, we you know she was young, and I says we can't afford another baby." And so then she would go get all her doll clothes and her baby clothes, and she lined them up on the, on the bed, and she says, look, we've got all this. We could afford another baby. But Jay's thought was, he says, I don't think I could never, ever love another child like I do my own. So, you know, I said, well, let's adopt a baby. He says, no, he says, I couldn't love another child like I love my own. Hmm. So... Um, but I think a mother takes a lot of pride in her children and in how they're dressed. And I wanted them to do, do good in school. I wanted them to get A's. And when they got A's, they got a dollar. Hmm. Uh, and if they got an H, they got a dollar. And they, we paid them. And the boys started scouts and I love scouting. I love being a den mother. I love Cub Scouts. And all three of the boys were eagles. But I helped them. 
and um, Jay felt kind of bad because a father isn't acknowledged, not rewarded, but he's not acknowledged when a boy gets his eagle or when a boy gets his first first class or second class. A mother gets acknowledged, and so she gets a little pin hmm. or a little thing. Yeah. Daddy doesn't get that, and so I think that that bothered Jay that he didn't that he wasn't really acknowledged. But <clears throat> I went through those books, and I read every one of them, and I wrote which was easy because they wanted they have so many that were required. We had to do the required, but then. I marked which was easy, like reading or music or pet care or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so David was, he had the, he had the highest number of, of uh, merit badges. He had 33. And then I think it was Craig Free that came behind him and he had more. And that really bothered him because <laughs> David was very competitive and he's, and he was then. And, but I, I, I had a lot of pride in the boys getting their eagles and getting scouting, and I helped them all. All three of them I helped. With Elisa, uh, I got her into dance when she was about five and a half, and Jay had asked Roland Butler. He was a, he had a studio when he she should start, and he says, oh, about five, five and a half. Don't start him with ballet, but tap. So she took her first classes in holiday from Roland Butler Studio. Um, piano, the piano upstairs was Jay's piano when he lived at home. And so when he got married, it came with us. And we had it down here for a long time. So when Warren was seven and a half, I started him in piano. And he played until he was around 15, and then he wanted to quit, and he never picked it up after that. And so I got Elisa started, and Alan started, and David and Warren. Alan never kept it up. David, he was, he he wanted to kind of do his own improvisation. <laughs> he liked, he didn't like the strictness of it, but he did love piano, and he started, he started with, at the grade school with the recorder hmm. and they start with recorders and then it led to the trumpet and so he played trumpet all through junior high high school and college and he loved that he loves music and he loved the trumpet but with Warren when he got to be a teenager he wanted different kind of music and Paula Mortimer strictly classical and he says I want some different music well, now if I'd have known then what I know now, I should have taken him to the music store and let him pick it out. But we said to Paula, we, he wants some different music. Well, she got him Rhapsody in Blue or another one, but it wasn't the kind of music he wanted. It, that's not what he wanted. And I think if I'd have got him in this other more teenage music or modern music I think he would have been more apt to stick with it but but she was good and Warren was good mm -hmm. she says I can't teach him any anything else he needs to go up to the U oh wow he was he was very good yeah 
He he could memorize. That's he. His dad was that way. His Jay's memory was phenomenal. But Warren, his last one of his last pieces was like thirty three pages long, oh and it was goodness. all memorized. Wow! And they were Chopin and uh, you know all yeah. of the classics. Wow. Uh, children. Yeah, I love being a mother. I love being a grandmother. Mm -hmm. um, did you, so so during this time, did you do anything for yourself that you enjoyed or any hobbies that you, like, maintained? Well, I, I didn't, not really. Um, I did maybe later on after I retired, but... I had to work for the, so many years after Jay was gone. But as a mother, I I did take a class at Neal Life. It was all about nutrition and sold the vitamins for a while and tried to get the family interested. But I found that things that I learned wasn't really accepted. Mm. You know, it wasn't. I didn't think I was of worth, like, maybe, maybe it was there, maybe I just didn't think so, but, but, um, I, I enjoyed the trips we had, we did camping trips, that was our vacations, we'd do two fishing trips a year, and the bow hunt, and the gun hunt in October, that was our vacations, but it was fun. And I loved it. I didn't mind getting the tent out. I had an old rug that I put on the ground, and I'd, I'd set it up. I took a lot of pride in the way I set it up and fixed the beds and set up the stove. I took a lot of pride in how that looked. It was clean, and I had a broom, and I'd sweep. And so that part was good. Um, I didn't take any classes, self-help classes. I could have, I should have, maybe, but I, no, I didn't. Um, they were, they're always around and available. There's always a dance class, or there's always a, an art class, or something like that. But mm -hmm. um, I didn't, I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. I, I was involved with church. I was very busy because uh, I was president of. Uh, I was in the Presidency of Relief Society several times in California and in here. And back then in the beginning, we had bazaars. And we had meetings every week at church with a luncheon. So there was a lot of preparation. Mm, yeah. Even when Alan was five years old. And the last bazaar was here. And it was a lot of fun. But it was a lot of work. Yeah. So those are the things. That's where I put my emphasis on. Um, I didn't give my mom and dad the interest uh, and the attention I should have done. But it seemed like every time I would try to talk to my mom, it, it would turn into an argument. So, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, because after we became active in the church and did the things, you know, church and meetings and you're just, that's what you do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
and the yard and the house and the kids and yeah but my got my fulfillment fulfillment from the family mm -hmm. did your parents pass away when you were married my mother was only 55 so that meant I would have been 35 okay. so Elisa was four okay Mm -hmm. And my dad was 72, I guess. Mm -hmm. He died in 84. He died three years after Jay did. So did the grandparents know your children? Uh, we would go to the house, and but Mother wasn't, even Jay's mother, uh, the cookie jar was in the kitchen, and we could go out, and, and they could get a cookie. Or the kids used to, in the summertime, they would go to the pool, and stay all day long because they'd go down with Jay and have lessons and then they'd walk up to Grandma Kirk's house and she would make them pancakes uh, and they would just sit there with her. Uh, the grandparents and Pa Kirk died pretty young so they, they, did, they didn't involve themselves with the children's activities. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think when the babies were blessed, why didn't my folks come? Did I even invite them? I don't know. I may not have. Um, but uh, there were times that we would do things as a family, and we would go after Pa Kirk died. We'd go get Ma Kirk and bring her with us. We'd bring her up here to Thanksgiving dinner. And, she, and my father, he would pick her up and bring her up. It was cute, Mr. Mr. Cardwell. He'll pick you up because Pa Kirk died. He was just sixty, so he died early. My Ma Kirk died while David had just got into the MTC in August. Mm -hmm. And then my folks, they didn't uh, participate with anything. Of course, we were gone to California when they were babies. Uh, when we came home. Again, it was their lifestyle was different, so they wouldn't have come to church activities. They didn't come to any games. They did not. They did not. Uh, no. Mm -hmm. They didn't join in any of the kids' activities. Yeah. Um, I know one of the um, pivotal moments of your life was when Jay was diagnosed with skin cancer. Um, he was pretty young. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about that and what that was like for you? Well, um, it would have been 1980, Thanksgiving, Christmas of 1980. He just wasn't himself. He he didn't have the energy. He was very tired. He, he didn't really help me as much as he did previously with those holidays. Uh, he was involved with his plays. He did several plays a year. He was very busy with Promise Valley Playhouse and with his plays at South High. But he had noticed when he was shaving a couple of lumps in his neck and he had called the doctor and he says, I don't think it's anything to worry about. It's probably a sebaceous, sebaceous fatty gland or something. But so then he, 
he a week or two went by and Jay called him again. He says, Well come in and let's check it out. So as soon as they as soon as he cut it out, he told Jay then, he says, This does not look good. I'll have it analyzed, I'll let you know. But before then, at some point, and we never could figure out when it was, Jay had a mole in the nap of his neck. I don't know what you call that right there. And it's where the scuba strap would go over and it would rub because with at the pool he had to put the scuba tank on and go down and work on the pool sometimes and it bothered him. So he had gone in to the dermatologist and they removed it but what they didn't do was check it, go out far enough to make sure the cells were clean. So when we saw the can't think of the word right now. And we saw the doctor. He says, well, this came from somewhere. He checked his whole body. He says, there's nothing on you anywhere that would indicate skin cancer, a melanoma. Um, oncologist, Dr. Hensley's an oncologist. So all of a sudden, we looked at his file that was there on the counter as the doctor left, and we opened it up. And then we remembered about this little mole that he had taken off and but from what they told us then and they also told us in Fredericksburg is that from the time it was diagnosed as melanoma it was already too late it had already metastasized the doctor said it's melanoma you have a two percent chance it's very deadly Jay says well I do Let's go home and tell your wife take her to dinner and tell your wife so he took me we got in the car and went up here and parked on the side of the hill. And he said, I don't feel like going to dinner, but he's, he had to tell me this, and that's when he told me. So we, you know, I thought about it, and he says, now we got to go see if what we're going to do, whether they're going to do chemo or what, what we can do, because taking these lumps out in the neck wasn't going to do a thing. It's already throughout his whole body. Yeah. So then we did chemo, and uh, I just made him deathly ill. And that was January of 81. And so then, about two months later? Yeah. Okay. That's when it was, when it was, and he, he, he was, he didn't feel good. And, and the place that it started hurting were his legs. And here he's teaching Sound of Music. He's doing South Pacific. He's dancing. He's showing the kids what to do. And he's got pain in his legs from the cancer. And the melanoma. Because it just... And we, we had asked the question, well, what's going to happen? Well, it, it'll just keep going throughout your body until it attacks one of your vital organs. You could have maybe six months, but... They didn't give us much time, and but neither one of us really talked about it. Maybe he did. Maybe in his mind, he he talked about it and thought about it. But as a couple, we didn't. I mean, life went on. He still went to work every day. He still did his swimming team. He still went and taught his classes. He still did his shows. I still took care of the kids. They went to school, and Warren. And Lori had been married, and they were now expecting their first baby. Mm -hmm. So we were excited about that. 
David getting ready for David's mission. He gets a mission call August. <clears throat> We're getting the house ready. And all this time, Jay's having chemo and mm -hmm. sicker than a dog and throwing up for eight hours at a time. Just can't leave the, the office. He never left work except one day for a couple hours he came home. And I, I have to not be here, but he went to work every day, and I did what I had to do every day. So life went on. Yeah. And neither one of us faced it. Mm -hmm. Because there's miracles. Uh, they happen all the time. And from the very beginning, we had he had uh, blessings, and he had priesthood that gave him blessings. But none of them ever said that he would get better. But we didn't, we weren't really listening. You know yeah. what I mean? We mm -hmm. just, we didn't say, and he didn't say, he said, I be, remember being in bed one night and we were cuddled up together and his arm was across me and I just was holding onto his arm. I loved his arms. I said, don't ever leave me. And he says, I won't if I don't have to. And that's about the extent of where we went with this. And in November, I can remember talking to the oncologist again. I said, what's wrong with my husband? The next, like the next, like this is coming November. Okay. This, this is coming November, you know, January. Yeah. He says, Your husband is dying. Mm. But to have to face that, we just, and I know even when the principal talks at school, on it, he's talked, the principal talked at his funeral, he talked about Jay's reaction, and, and he says, even, at, even there at school, it wasn't something that was on his mind he says but then one day he came in and he finally had had realized but but jay and i we didn't we just didn't talk about it we just it was a subject we didn't want to face realize it just but he got sicker and he got worse and then our bishop next door he found out about this interferon treatments in Maryland. He made all the arrangements, the airplane, everything. And of course, the insurance paid for it. And so we flew there and we were there three weeks. And he just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And it was even in his eyes. And they said, you need to go home. And, and, and then after we got home, he said to Bishop Williams, he says, what, what will I do? He said, because we tried, we you know, people would call and say, well, do this and try that. And we went down to a clinic in Las Vegas, I guess. And we just didn't feel right about it, so we turned around and came right back home. Because there's, you get these people that will say, well, if you'll do this, if you'll do that, or if you'll take that. But Dr. Williams, who was the, also our bishop, he said, Jay, the time that you have left, he says, don't waste your time. He says, stay with your family. And he says, what do I do? He says, record your history. So that's what he did. He laid on the couch and verbally recorded his history. Mm. And then our dear friend typed it all up, so I've got it all. Um, but uh, his mom <clears throat> passed away unexpectedly in August and I think it was 
a blessing. I think it was meant to be. I don't think she could have, if she would have had to have seen her son do that, it would have been, it, that would have been so cruel. So she was taken. It was sad because she, she wasn't that old, but um, so she never saw Jay really bad, but, but you could see his progress as he got worse. And when we came back from Maryland, his skin was like he had a severe sunburn. It was gray-brown. It looked very bad, and it frightened the children, I think. And then I, I meant, of course, uh, he said to Elisa, make sure you tell me goodbye when you go and tell me hello when you get home. She never missed doing that. She could handle his illness, but the boys could not. I think I've often thought maybe this is the reason the boys didn't come up after he died because it meant he would come up they would come up and they'd be and he wouldn't be here. See our life didn't revolve around me. Our our family revolved around Jay. His work, his talents, his abilities, his interests, his hobbies, his family, his camping. Everything and the family revolved around Jay. So when he was gone, that was a void, I think, that the boys couldn't face, didn't want to face. I think it's still, I don't know, they've never said, but I just, I just think that was the whole thing at the beginning. They just couldn't come up here. But bless her heart, Elisa, and there was times that he would be in the bathroom six and eight hours and she would finally take her bring her bed downstairs or sleep down here because it was right by her bed but mm -hmm. um, she could touch him and hug him and go in and see him in the morning he passed away she wanted to go in and the door was shut and I said don't go in now honey he's not doing good she says I have to go and tell him goodbye but anyway so that morning uh your mom went in and told him goodbye, and then he died within less than an hour after that. So, but it was, it was, um, it was hard because, like I said, we didn't talk about it, and just a couple of things were were ever said. But uh, we, he did mention that he wanted the piano to go to Elisa, and the rifle to go to Alan, and the ring to go to David, and the shotgun to go to Warren. But uh, he, I says, what will I do? He says, you need to go on, the children. He says, you need to go on and be strong. He says, the children will need you to be strong. You need to go on. The children will need you to be strong. But that morning, that and then and then when he when it progressed and and he was in so much pain, then I had to learn how to give him his morphine shots. So every so many hours, I'd go arm, leg, leg, arm. So round the clock, I gave him his morphine shots. And then the middle of the night, when when he was so bad that morning or that morning, his breathing had changed. And I didn't still understand or recognize what was going on. The bishop had come over maybe hours before that, and he says, 
you know, he, they didn't come out and say, this is what's happening. This is what you can expect. Yeah. He, he just kind of said, it'll be, it's still a while away. Oh, wow. Yeah. So then his cousin, his cousin had, um, who's a nurse, Linda Lamb, who's a nurse, she had come for several weeks and helped me with Jay and talked to him. They were cousins and teased each other and tried to help with bathing and shaving and different things. So she had gone out of town. And so I had a neighbor up the street that was a nurse that came and helped. And then uh, Linda came back. So that morning, Monday the 14th of December, she came to check on him to see how he was and I asked her if she would uh, help me bathe him and wash him down and so we did that and he was not conscious then his breathing was very bad and I asked her to leave the room so she went in the kitchen and I shut the door and I knelt down And I said, Heavenly Father, if thou art a merciful God, please take my Jay home. And he died right then. By asking Heavenly Father to take him, he left. But it was, it was a miracle. It was miraculous. And what it did is it solidified my testimony. Because then, as sad as it was, there was a joy. Remember, Alma? And so those are the things that I've lived with and relied on. If there was no God, that prayer wouldn't have been answered. There was a peace in the home. There was a spirit in the home. It was there. It was obvious. I've never had an experience like that before or since. And then one of <clears throat> one of Alan's friends came to the house and I said, Go get Alan and Elisa. So he went back and got and brought him back from Brighton and Warren came and so the four of us well David wasn't there, the three of us went in the bedroom because Bishop had got me a hospital bed, so Jay was in the in my bedroom in a hospital bed, and we knelt, and he was still there in the room, and we knelt down by him. I just took all their arms, their hands, and we knelt in a circle and prayed that we would always be close as a family. Those are hard times for not just me, but for the children and for his brother. 
and his cousins and uncles that loved him. Mm-hmm. He was the life of the party, and they came to visit him from Lakeshore a night or two before he passed away. And they came from Promise Valley Playhouse, some of the men, and sang to him. And he had a lot of people that loved him. Planning the funeral was hard. Pat Davis from the Playhouse came, and she and I worked together on the on the program and then Earl came he tried to get there before he passed away and he car broke down and so he didn't get there till Monday night and he felt so bad and then they stayed here for a month and that was hard um, <clears throat> and I didn't I didn't gather the three children and say let's put the funeral together yeah I didn't know that. I didn't think that. I kind of was relying on these other people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So whether I did it right or not, I don't know. You know, I, I, I was kind of going by Earl's counsel and of course my state president, Dr. Bishop. It was a beautiful service. Mm-hmm. It was full. The stake center was full from the pulpit to the stage. Wow. Mm-hmm. Didn't have a viewing. Jay didn't want one, and I couldn't. I couldn't have done a viewing physically. I couldn't have done a viewing. Although I didn't do it, he asked me to do. He asked me to speak at the funeral, and I just couldn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, Pat Davis did, and his principal did. And one of the boys that was in the play did. Mm-hmm. And the music was from Promise Valley. They had a choir that came and sang. And the lady that played the organ for me, she played all of the love songs from the plays, Carousel. And, mm-hmm. and that was beautiful. And it was, it was, and then, of course, President Peterson, he spoke at the end. Yeah. Your experience is amazing where you prayed that he would be released from his pain and he I was. didn't know I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what to say. It just it just happened. Yeah. I just knew if thou be a merciful God, please take my Jay home. Mm-hmm. And he went and he was gone. And that surprised me. Yeah. And then I had to go out and get Linda, tell her to come in. And mm-hmm. Did that help you to feel like Heavenly Father was aware of you? Yes, and... yes, mm-hmm. yes. I could handle That's how I've been able to handle it, Cassidy, all these years. And when, I, when my testimony gets soft or weak, I... I need to remember these things because even today, this day, I can't say I'll see him again. I can't say that. I don't. I, I've I've always been afraid of death. I've always, not how I'm going to die, but just the thought of death frightens me. Um, 
is there a hereafter? I can't say, but I know that there is. But yet when I think that I prayed and, and the prayer was answered, then there's got to be. But but I can't see that. I can't I can't step over that. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think you're amazing and incredible. And to me, it sounds like Heavenly Father was very aware of you and heard your prayer. And to me, that means that you will see him again. Yeah. You don't have a prayer answered if he's not there. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So if my prayer is answered, that means he's there. Yeah. And he is. So that's the mm -hmm. way that's the way it's all and it wasn't until I was reading in the Book of Mormon in Alma and he talks about this joy, this exquisite joy. And that's what I experienced and I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm hmm Yeah. I believe that you will see him again, and we'll all see him again, you know, and he'll welcome us back. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that with us. That's really, really um, special to hear about and have you share that experience with us, so thank you. Is there anything else that you want to mention while we're talking about this specifically? Well, just that I was blessed that day, and the week was a beautiful week, and mm -hmm. the funeral was. And when I had to go, and it was just before Christmas, of course, and I had to go to Smith's, and everyone was rushing around, and I just, I just frowned. I couldn't understand. Don't they know? Don't they know? Mm -hmm. And then on Monday, I went to the mall and did the Christmas shopping for my kids. And I just, how can everybody be going on with their lives and everything? Don't they know what's happened? Yeah. <laughs> and it just, it, it really is difficult. Mm -hmm. But it, life goes on. Mm-hmm. And uh, here we, but, <laughs> and I knew within five years everyone would be gone. And I thought, Alan's life went on, Warren's life went on, David's life went on, Azalea's life went on. Mine didn't. Mine ended with Jay. You know, I'm no longer a couple. And I, you can't go to the card store and buy a card for a husband. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, eh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you had to live with that. <laughs> but just look at my blessings. Mm -hmm. Look at my kids. And, and I've thought, and I've mentioned it to your mom, too, because of the ups and downs of Jay and I. I think by him 
going, it saved us. Mm -hmm. Because um, things weren't on a good level and <coughs> challenges and things. And, but our last six months were, it was just he and I. Yeah. And it was it was it was sweet, but because I think because us talking about it, I think it hurt each other, so we couldn't talk about it. You know. Yeah. I think that's how I think that's how it how it ends up. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, yeah. Even though that was hard, and the first year you everything, first Christmas alone, the first thunderstorm alone. And, you know all those important things <clears throat> but then after the first year then I had to get a job that fall that next fall I went back to school worked part-time until the school ended in June and then I took the summer off and then come September then I had to go find a job <laughs> mm -hmm. what was your job well, the first one was at a church office building in Address Unknown. Uh, and, um, you know, life goes on. Yeah. Yeah, you, ha you have to get up in the morning and you have to take a shower and you have to make your bed. And you have to go to the grocery store. And I still had three kids at home, or two kids at home. I had David on a mission. We had to call him, and that was devastating for him. But the boys never said, I've never, I never questioned them, and they never bring it up. And I've always thought it was strange that as we get together as a group, we don't talk about Dad. Would you like to? Yeah. Yeah, I wish we did. I think it would keep him alive. It would, you know, they could say, I liked him because, or I didn't like him because, he was good because, or he was harsh because, or... Remember the th when we did this, or remember when we did that. You know, I just yeah. think that's that that you would do that. Yeah. But they never have. Mm. And <clears throat> but um, I've had good jobs. I've made friends. I've gone on trips. I went on a mission. I've I've fixed up my house. I did new carpet and new furniture, new wallpaper, new windows, and, and I just moved on. Yeah. And then lived my life through the kids, through their marriages and their babies, and mm -hmm. seeing their happiness. And you don't want anything bad to happen to any of them. You don't want them to get sick or get in an accident or get hurt or because you hurt when they do. It's just natural. Yeah. Um, over the years, so it's been about 40 years. Is It'll be right? 41 in December. 41. Um, did you ever try to date again or anything like I that? D I dated a couple of times, but I really wasn't interested. I didn't. Maybe if there had been somebody that had been perfect come along. But the thing that worried me was that 
I'm afraid that if I was to remarry, that it would change the relationship that I have with my children. And I don't want to do that. Hmm. So, mm -hmm. so, I have, is it really interesting? Although I'm happy for those that do, because why be alone if you don't have to? Yeah. But, yeah, if it, it wouldn't be the same, even though it's not a perfect relationship with my kids, it wouldn't be as good as it is. Yeah. David said to me after he got home from his mission, he ran in the bedroom and jumped on the bed, and he said, Mom, I'll never respect you if you marry again. <laughs> And he was, what, 21, just still just a young child. And I, I don't think the kids would care. I don't know. They've never said. But mm -hmm. I, just, I just think, you know, if, a, if you marry again, then your emphasis becomes your spouse, not your children. Hmm. But maybe as a single mother, maybe you put too much emphasis on your children. So I worry about that. I, put, I worry that I put too much pressure on them, especially your mom because she's so attentive. I wonder if they would feel differently now that they're older, you know, or I don't know. a few years later, because when you first get home from remission, you're still young then. Yeah, I don't know. They've never encouraged it. They've never said, Mom, you need to get a date. Yeah. Mom, find somebody else. You don't need to live there all alone. Warren said, Mom, you need to get an apartment. That house is too big. You need to go to school. Hmm. Well, I couldn't see myself going to college at my age. I didn't want to leave my house because that's where the memories are. Hmm. I didn't yeah. want to start somewhere else. The neighbors wouldn't know me. The ward wouldn't know me. You know, yeah. I wanted to be here. Yeah. And I've never been sorry about that. Yeah. Um, later on, um, you were able to serve LDS Mission. Tell us where you went and some of the things that you enjoyed about that. Well, I'd gone into the bishop for tithing settlement, and he says, what do you think about going on a mission? I says, oh, I'd like to do that someday. He says, how about now? And how old were you right here? <laughs> uh, 55, I think. Hmm. Let's see, that would have been in... I had have to remember, maybe not 55. But all your children were out of the house? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was still working full time. So I asked Earl and Janet. I asked all of my kids. They all said, no, Mom, not now. When you retire, then you can go on a mission. We can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> but the ward did help me. The ward and the stake did help me. So you ended up going? So then I went back to the bishop, and I said, yes, I'd like to go. And so he, they called me on a mission, and I says, but I want, to, <clears throat> I want to finish my young women because I wanted to be there to get my award, and I wanted to stay with that job till I'd been there a year. It was my least favorite job. And so I wanted to finish that, and I wanted to get my award. So I went in September. Mm -hmm. And Where did you I, I went to San Bernardino, California, and we were called referral secretaries, so we were in the office. We went to the MTC at Provo, and we were there 
I don't know, was it two weeks, three weeks, hmm. whatever length of time, I don't remember. My first companion was a challenge, uh, but we tried to work together, um, and you know what the classes are like, and we I was with, of course, just seniors, adult mission, adult women, and there were either two or three couples, and then there were two or three couples of single sisters, and <clears throat> this one couple had been, I think it was only, no, there were, there were, there were three couples, and then there were three sets, I think, of single sisters, but, uh, <clears throat> This one day, I have to tell you about this one experience. This one, this one lady, she was, she was quite, she was elderly, older than I am, and she had driven up in her car, and she was heading to Mexico to Arizona, and she had her bread maker and her sewing machine, and she thought she was going on a mission to serve and to work in the in the mission, and. No, she's going there to be a missionary and teach lessons, and so oh, it was wow. a little—it was a little challenging to her. But this one particular day, during lunchtime, she had gone shopping, and she came back, and she was kind of heavy set and older. She went around to every person in the circle. She knelt down on her knees, and she had this gift to give us. She says, "I can't wash your feet like the Savior did." but I can give you this shoe shine kit. It was so sweet and so tender. She was as serious as, it was just, I'll never forget that. That's sweet. And yeah. then the way the teachers teach you, to treat you. You know, at the MTC, you're first in line. You don't go to the back of the line. In the devotional, you're on the front row, and it's just, the way you're treated was just, phenomenal. And then the mission president called me and he says, Sister Kirk, I understand you're going to, you're, you're going to bring your car and now you've changed your mind. I said, yeah, I, I don't think I'll bring my car. He says, well, you know, Sister Kirk, if you don't, that means we have to give one of the missionary cars to you. He <laughs> says, I will bring my car. <laughs> so Alan drove me down. Mm-hmm. I had my car. Then when it was time to come home, your mother flew down. But see, the church paid for that. Mm -hmm. So she flew down with Mercedes as a little baby and little girl and picked me up, and then we drove home. But what? But anyway, the way the mission president talked to me on the phone, the MTC was so sweet. But then I got there. We were in the mission office, and we were there from nine to five or whatever every day and we were referral secretaries we we moved the mail every day and we worked on the computer and we answered the phone and if somebody oh my phone cutters are outside and if the a hospital called and needed sister missionaries my companion and I would go and but the very first day my my day planner I had a little day planner like you do and there's this little yellow sticky note that says you are loved. And I have to tell you, Cassidy, all my life I've never felt so loved, so important, and so appreciated as I did on my mission. 
And that's how it was from the office staff, from the mission president. He said, Sister Kurt, when I get up and give my talk and my report, I always tell him that I called your car on a mission. <laughs> and he would talk about the reports I do, because I had to do all these reports for the state, for the, oh, you know. And, uh, yeah, I did. And we get, we get there, we go into the empty, into the mission home, this beautiful home on the, next to the golf course with a swimming pool. Sister Kirk, will you lead the music? <laughs> I turned to my companion. I don't know how to lead the music. <laughs> so I got up. And Moved your his, bit. his wife, his, his wife played the piano. And I led the music. No, it wasn't his wife. It was a mission secretary. And he says, Sister Kirk, that was wonderful. That was perfect. But you can't get that kind of treatment and not feel of value and important. And if we could do that to our spouse, to our children, just think what a difference that makes. I never have felt that much love and acceptance. And, you know, even though I, you know, we didn't do things right, and I had to learn, and I couldn't do that computer, and the elders had to come in and set up the program, and teach me how to do it. There was no criticism. It was, you can do it. It's great. Oh, that's wonderful. Look at that report. <laughs> 13 stakes, and I had to do all these figures, you know, the reports that you do every night. All that has to be entered into the computer, and then it has to be tabulated. And I didn't know how to do that. So the elders came in and got these formulas, and it was tabulated. So at the end of the day, he had totals for everything and percentages for everything. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when we were in the office, I mentioned that we'd get a call from the hospital, and there was this lady, a young girl that had cancer, and she had a couple of little kids, and she was not a member of the church, but... Or she might have been, I can't remember. But we anyway, we went there, and she was very young, in her 20s. And I can remember holding her and singing to her, I'm a child of God. And she did pass away, and we went to her funeral. It was, it was sad. So we did things like that, went into the mission, into the hospital, and visited patients, female patients. And then after we served in the office, what was so great about us compared to the other senior couples is that we had, we were part of a district. So at night, we had to report into the district leader that we were home. So we had a district, we had district meetings and zone conferences, and we did all of that. And then when we finished during the day, then the bishop, we lived with the bishop for a while, and he gave us his ward membership and just kind of pointed out who we could go to. And uh, we just did our less active work at, at night, the whole night. So we had a baptism. And we, but there were, what was the greatest thing was the reactivation of different people, the women and men. And there was one family, we were always getting dinner appointments. When we'd go to Relief Society every week, the calendar would go up and down the aisle and the Relief Society president would say, we want this filled every night for these sisters. <laughs> so that was kind of embarrassing. So we had a dinner almost every night and uh, one of the dinners we went to, she was a member. And he 
he was a member, but had never held the priesthood, I don't think. But anyway, he was a member of Hell's Angels. And he came in and sat right next to me. We went to their home for dinner. It was a very nice home, very nice dinner. He came in, big man, with spaghetti straps. They're not what they're called, but tank top with all these big tattoos. And he belonged to this gang, motorcycle riders in L.A. But they became activated. And when he got a suit and he had to, he wanted to bless the sacrament, but he wanted to memorized. And so we saw that success. And then there were others that happened. And so that was really a blessing. It was, I don't know. To me, one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life was to go on that mission. Mm. So I was blessed, and it yeah. taught me a lot. I learned a lot. I grew a lot. I felt loved, and it was it was awesome. That's so great. I'm glad you had a good experience. Oh, it was just it couldn't have been better. I had two different companions. The second one was my favorite. And she was much older than me, and she says, we're going to walk. And so she walked. <laughs> my other companion, she didn't walk, so I'd walk up around her. But <laughs> my first, my second companion, and she was a, a great woman. She has since passed away, Lillian Black, from Virginia. <laughs> so what a sweet lady. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. But, yeah, it was it was a great experience. The bishop says, you'll get a good job when you come back. He says, it'll be okay. Put yeah. your job when you come back. You And I did. You and did? the job I got when I came back was my favorite. Good. So I was there for 10 years. Wow. And, and was that the church office building? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was in the curriculum department, the graphic section. I remember coming to visit you. I don't know if it was like birthdays or what it was, but you would have your grandkids come to your office and when they turned eight. Yeah, I remember that. Did you get to do that? Uh huh. Yeah, okay. I did. Yeah, it was a good job, and I didn't want to quit, but I did. You know, I was sixty-five, and but it was it was good. I miss I miss the friends I made, and I miss feeling important. I miss having a purpose. Okay, honey bunny, just know that your grandma is not a perfect woman. But I, whoops, now I did it. Okay. Yeah, but you're not supposed to be. Well, we come to earth to learn and to grow and... It's not, it's, we didn't come here to have a party. We didn't come here to play. We came here to learn. And we learn in different ways. And we learn the best by our challenges and our adversity. And that's why I was able to grow. Because with Grandpa, I couldn't have grown. Uh, in my home, I couldn't have grown. But, but uh, the marriage and the mission and my work, my different jobs that I've had, and my association with the board members and neighbors and my children, watching them grow and being part of their lives, 
those are the things that make you grow. That's that's what you learn. That's why we're sent here is to learn. And we were told it wasn't going to be easy, but I wondered if we really knew what we would face. I guess we would have still chosen it. I don't know. But I did have a lot of adversity and challenges in my life. I had a lot of... Um, growth. I had a lot of repentance, but I think I've come out okay. Um, I wish I could redo some of it. I wish I could undo some of it. I wish I could have second chances with some of it, but that, that wasn't meant to be. Yeah. So the list of challenges I received and that I have is not what yours are or have been or will be. Um, certainly don't wish anything sad to happen to people or tragedies, but how we handle it is what it's all about. And we've had the example. The Savior suffered. He set the example. He He's shown us how to live. And and then we get to a crossroad in our life. All we got to do is say, what would the Savior do? What have I learned from this? And if we can just remember those things. Then when we go home, it will have been worth it. Hopefully we each have enough time to complete, to finish our journey before it's over. And Jay's patriarchal blessing had never indicated that he would live long. He always felt like he would not live long. Um, but he certainly accomplished a lot and touched a lot of lives. We were happy. We were happy. We, we, we made four beautiful children. That was our greatest gift to life, to, to this world, was our four children. Very different, very talented, very Christ-like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was our crowning joy, was our four children. And then what they've made of their lives. And I think it had to happen the way it did, Cassidy. Yeah, life is not easy. <sighs> you know, life is not easy and it's not easy. And yeah. when these when young people get married, and Jay's father said, Okay, you've been raised a certain way, you've been raised a certain way, now you gotta put that together. And come up with a plan. You live in a home for 20 years and then you you try to make a go of it. It's it's not easy. It's it's hard work and they need to know that. And and young people need to know that it's work and they need to know before they decide to go to the temple what it means. And I don't think 
I don't know how it is now, but I don't think we're, we know enough when we go through the temple. We don't realize that it, it's, we've got rules and, and if you're not up to it, then don't go. If you're not going to accept these covenants that you make with Heavenly Father, then you better not go because you, you know, it's, we don't have to be perfect, but we have to keep trying. Yeah. What are some of your um, favorite principles or aspects of your faith? That we can be forgiven. And that, and I had, I have always felt that Christ's love was unconditional. I had a discussion with state president's wife in the class that <laughs> over at Bonnie's ward, and she was talking about unconditional love that Christ did. I raised my hand and I said, see, his love was unconditional. And she says, no, it wasn't. But I've always believed that it, that his love is unconditional. He doesn't, he doesn't. It's like, you know, I don't like what you do, but I love you. He, he doesn't approve of what we do. But he loved the sinner. Isn't that unconditional love? Mm -hmm. I love that part of the gospel that if we make mistakes, we can be forgiven. And that all he asks is that we keep trying. That's all he asks. Mm -hmm. um, the families can be together forever. <laughs> Whatever, what of what other faith believes that? I think our, I think our, our church, our faith is, is great. I think um, the programs are inspired and inspirational. I think the men and the women, <clears throat> there's many men and women that are very talented that come from all different backgrounds, but they make it work. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we keep progressing. We start out as a child and we receive a name and a blessing, and then we're baptized. And so it's that's another thing about our gospel. It's it's a progression, learning, being accepted. Mm -hmm. Well, it ha I guess it has to go back with what I believed as a little girl when I went to primary little purple pansies in the garden grows and and feeling the spirit knowing knowing the difference between right and wrong knowing the difference between feeling having a good feeling even though we were in that bar you say with you the other night i didn't have negative feelings um i learned Early, I must have, if I was praying at eight, eight years old, uh, and I knew the difference 
with these friends that I wanted to be with them. I wanted to be in their homes because there was something in their homes that I didn't have. Uh -oh. There's a love, there's a difference, there's an atmosphere, there's a spirit in a home where there's the gospel. And that's what I want. I don't want the other. I'm afraid of the devil. I'm afraid of that. Always have been. Don't even like to say the word or think about it. So maybe it's because I'm weak. I need to be where the saints are so that I can survive. Well, we are all weak and we are all imperfect <laughs> and we're all just doing the best that we can and, you know, striving to be better and I think you are a pretty incredible person and you are an amazing example to me and to everybody around you. So, you know, there's a lot of people who love you and who look up to you. Well, I don't want to ever disappoint anybody or change that opinion they have of me, but mm. that's why I want to be at your mom's house. And I, if I can just go over there and just sit and just watch and listen, that's all I need. It, it feeds my soul. Mm -hmm. I don't get that everywhere. And I don't want to take away from her or drain her energy, but it it gives me energy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think she and everybody loves having you over there. Oh, anyway. Your sweet grandma. Well, what do you think brings the most happiness in life to us generally? Like, if you have any advice... For us listening to this, <laughs> what what brings the most happiness from your experience? I think that thing that I said at the beginning, that love begins when another's needs are more important than your own. Think of your spouse. Think of your mother. Think of your father. Think of your children. Think of your sisters. Think how important each one of your family members are to you. And boys, think of your, your, your children as well. And if you didn't have them, but think how wonderful it is and, and how much you love them. And don't ever let that change. Don't let a misunderstanding or a squabble or unkind words don't let that ever change because that can devastate a family just one little thing so be careful of that watch out for that and honor your spouse honor your spouse and appreciate appreciate what that person contributes to your family and realize that that person has needs and wants and imperfections and inadequacies. 
So maybe we sometimes we expect too much. We expect perfection. Maybe we should expect perfection. Mm-hmm. But see the good. See the good. And, you know, what would the Savior do? What would he say? How would he feel? What would he do? Mm-hmm. Um, in conclusion, is there any final thoughts or final um, words of love or advice that you would like to give? What I have said is really for everybody. I I started a journal once, and at the front of the journal, I put something like, I in, in this journal, it's not so much a journal as it is thoughts and feelings, things that I've gathered from books and stories or talks or poems, and I've written that down, and I like to go back and read that. And I at the beginning, I, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I hope that the children would learn and to get to know me better by these precious things that I have saved and that I would have the respect that I felt that I've earned that maybe they don't but I feel like I have I felt I feel like since their dad's been gone I haven't done anything to jeopardize him or the children or be a bad woman. I'm proud of each one of them. Before Jay passed away, he made a tape, and he was going to do it individually for each one. But then as he started, he said, I could see that it would overlap each one so he talks to each one of the kids but the message is kind of for all of them and I guess that's what I would say I know you have families I know you have spouses I know you have children I know you have jobs I know you have church callings I know you take care of your ministering brothers and sisters I know you take care of your neighbors your children and your grandchildren but children don't forget your mother and I think oftentimes now that I'm a mother and older we feel towards our children differently than our children feel towards us and I guess that's natural I guess that's normal but I think I'm important and I would like to think that I'm important to you that your lack of visits and calls isn't because you don't love me because I know you do it's just that you're busy and I understand that 
Afrique. I want to give you a moment, if you want to, to share a message with each of your kids, like individually. Um, if you have anything that you would like to say to them on an individual basis, um, I would like to give you that opportunity. Well, <clears throat> the birth of each child is very momentous. The the pregnancy of each child was. Um, when we talked about a baby, Jay and I had said, I think it's time we could have a baby. So we talked about that for Warren. And then knowing in our apartment, it was our little dollhouse, we, we knew I was working and he was in school and when he was born and, and, um, And then the years we had together were very precious, he and I, for four years. And Jay was busy with school and dance and other things. And so that was really special to have that time with Warren. And <clears throat> my husband sold world books, and so we had world book encyclopedias. And he and I would sit on the couch and would go through those books. And he could say big words. Tyrannosaurus Rex, and he'd talk about the books, and he'd talk with, he was such a smart child. And so I, I really, <clears throat> I really cherish that time we had together with Warren. And the fact that we were sealed in the Los Angeles temple and he was there, he had white hair, and it was, it was great. And then as he, as he grew, we could see his intelligence with school and his sports and the piano and his, his scouting and we chose good friends and he did almost he had almost a 4-0 in school not quite but he he was a good student and then as he married and he wanted to marry a woman that would give him would keep him strong in the church and he shared that with us, and we always loved Lori, and then his children came along, and, and then he moved away, and from school on, he's always lived away. So Warren, I, I feel badly that I wasn't able to share all those special times in your life and the life of your children when they were blessed and when they were baptized when they had prom and parties and sports and accomplishments that I wasn't able to be there, Dad and I, and then just me. Well, I guess just me, because Natalie was born the year that you that Dad passed away. So she was born in September, and Dad left in December. So, yeah. I... I feel badly that I wasn't able to share all those times with you, but I always have been proud of your worth, e worth ethics and the callings you've had and being bishop and 
you wanted to teach gospel doctrine. You said the other day you'd like to teach the oldest teenagers now in Sunday school. And Lori, made, you made the statement that everyone loves Warren. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you and your life. I'm proud of how you've raised your kids. I'm proud that you and Lori decided to work it out together and that you would work and she would stay home with the kids. And even after you graduated from back east and you had your degree, that you still had a paper route. <laughs> so you've worked hard. It's, it, you know, you have, you have much now materially but you've worked for it and I'm I'm proud of your of your success but I want you to know that even though you've moved away your brothers and your sister care about you and I hope you care about them I would like to see and know that the four of you would stay in touch through phone calls and visits because your brothers and your sister are really important. They've, of course, added to my life, but they've added to your life. And they always ask about you, and I know you ask about them, but I would like to think that you would have time to call them and visit with them. And David, Oh, how we wanted another little child, and we were blessed in four years to have you, and you were our California baby, born in Anaheim, born at a time when we were strong in the church, and Dad was on a mission, a state mission, and he missed your babyhood because he was gone every night. I have to go back with Warren, just one more thing. In one of the places we lived, the behind the barber shop, and our your crib was so close to our bed that your little hand would come out at night and Dad would reach over and hold your hand. So children need to know that that love that parents have for their children starts early and it never leaves like the way I feel about you now and all of my kids. And David, you you blessed our life with California, with the mission, with our friends, with our church activity. And you were a goer. You wanted to know what was on top of that couch. You didn't want to wait. And you've had interest in music how you've loved your music and Warren, you too, with your piano. You were so good. I hope you'll pick it up again someday. David, you love the trumpet, you love the, the piano, and you are so unselfish. You are so giving. But I see that in all my kids. I see that, Warren, I know you've helped your children. David, you help your children, and Alan, you help yours. You helped Alan, you helped Spencer and Ashley with their house. So that's those are good things that you've learned, that you've passed on. Warren, you have four great kids. David, you've got four wonderful sons to be proud of 
They need to be steered to God. We can't lose that chain. And they will. You've worked so hard with your jobs and getting through school and working at Spaghetti Factory. Oh, what a fun time that was for you, you and Bonnie. I love Bonnie from the moment I, you brought her in the house. She was so fun to be around. and You did so many things for her and... You know, each one of you has your own story. They can't intermingle because they're all so individual or they're all so different. And you're such a good father and a good husband and a great grandfather to your kids. And you, you would give the shirt off your back if they needed it. But I caution you not to. They've got to earn their own shirt, honey. And I thank you for your constant love and calls. And You've always said, Mom, you and I have a special relationship. And I think we do. And Alan, my boy, my third son, when you were born, I was so proud. I wasn't disappointed you weren't a girl. All I could think of is I have three sons. And you were very loving and affectionate. You were close to me all the time. And as a little boy, you would come in the kitchen and sit in the drawer under this oven. Mother, Mommy, I love you. All the time you said that. All day long, all the time. Mommy, I love you. And my mother, when you were small, she says, you got to watch out for that little kid. He's so beautiful. Someone's going to steal him. But Alan, you... Your, your talents are monumental too and you've all you all three boys became eagles and that's that's hard work and that's devotion and that's a testimony you all have testimonies you all are active you all can go to the temple what more could a mother ask for and Alan your wife your sweet little Carrie, she is so thoughtful and does for me things all the time. Remembering me and poking you in the ribs to remind you to call me. I have things throughout the house that she's made or done special for me. She's very respectful. I don't know her feelings towards me, but I know she's very respectful. And that means a lot. She honors me as your mother and you've got such sweet three children. Different challenges but they're good. They're good children and you've been good parents. And you've set an example by your kindness, by your unselfishness to your ward members. If somebody needs a tree cut, Alan, you're the first one there. If the state president needs the parking lot shoveled, you're the first one there. If a woman needs a roof resurfaced, you, you and your friends do it without pay.
and you always make me feel welcome. You always thank me for coming. We just to do we just need to do more of it. But I think time's running out. And my daughter Elisa, oh my. We knew we could have one more baby. Dr. Brown says, you well, I think you can have maybe one more. So we planned for one more. Not knowing if it was going to be a girl or not, but I had a feeling that things just seemed different. But I remember driving up high, oh, what was the street, down by Dan's, and I said, honey, if I give you a baby girl, you can give me a baby grand. <laughs> Just off the blue, where did that come from? So, and then the thing that was hard is that after the third pregnancy, the doctor wanted me to say that was all, and I couldn't do it. Well, after the fourth one, he again said, this will be your last one, and I couldn't sign papers, and he didn't make me. He says, well, we'll figure it out. We'll take care of it, but evidently that was something that I needed to do. So when you were born, Dad was, oh, and the doctor says, well, there's your little girl, and I said, oh, let me see her. Let me see her, and then I didn't want, I wanted to tell dad myself but then I says no you go tell him <laughs> he was ecstatic we had a friend in the hospital that just had a baby and he ran into her room and ran in and ran out and said it's a girl that's all he could say and then he called Janet and Janet had the two little boys at home and she knew the phone was ringing and she didn't know what to do she was so afraid didn't know how to console him and and then when he said it was a girl and that was really, really a special thing, I'll tell you. When I came home from the hospital, there was my piano. And Paula Mortimer came down. I was in bed, and she came down and played for me up and down the keyboard. So that's why the, even though Warren had played the piano for years, that's why when Dad said that piano was to be yours. And I said, when you got married, you could take it. And that was another hard thing. When I came home from work and it was gone, oh my gosh, I cried again. <laughs> I was kind of like a link to Dad, I guess. But you were a sweet little girl and you weren't spunky and you weren't stuck up or snooty. You just got in with the boys, and if they ran up the hill, you ran behind them. And if they jumped off a cliff, you jumped off behind them. And if they could dive in the deep well, you could do it too. And and so you were, and, and Warren rocked you in the rocking chair. Warren wanted a baby sister. <laughs> he rocked you in the rocking chair. And haven't we had fun with... The plays and the musicals and the dancing and the costumes and trying to dye your hair black for the king and I. <laughs> Dad finally said, it's okay. You don't have to try anymore. 
your long hair to try to make it black. So you could be one of the little children. And Thomas Bowley, how much fun you've had up there. And Alan, you too. And David, you were even in one of the shows at South High. So it's been fun to have a, a daughter and to share things with you because I didn't have a sister. You didn't have a sister, but you had six daughters. And I had a daughter plus three daughter-in-laws and lots of granddaughters. And we've had fun together sharing in the ballet and plays. Working in the garden together, sewing together, <laughs> quilting. Oh, we've done a lot of quilts, haven't we? And canning. Oh, what, what haven't we canned? Picking fruit and picking grapes. And even your kids helped with that. And doing canning. And, and you married a good man. And I wanted you to marry a good man, and you did. When he came into the front room, I said to my soul, that's the kind of man I want my daughter to marry. Because you've had other dates, but Scott was meant to be, and you were meant to be for him. He's grown by your influence. He's developed. And you've grown by his influence as well. So you're you're a good match. You have the same standards, the same goals, the same love for family, the same love for the Lord. So when I look back at the four of you, I couldn't have picked four children any better, just like your dad said. Thank you for your lives. Thank you for making me proud. Thank you for making your father proud and honoring his life as well as mine. Always remember your heritage, the Cardwells, the Kirks, the Dolliffs, the Holmans, the Sperrys, blacks. It's all part of who you are. But first you were mine. Thank you so much, Grandma. That was so special to hear about your life and everything that you have gone through and learned. And we are all better for being able to experience it with you. So Thank you for sharing with us. I know that a lot of that is hard to talk about and relive, um, but it's special that we can learn from you and about you and love and appreciate you more. So thank you, and we love you. Thank you, Cassidy, for this opportunity. It's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Your mom and I have talked about things before, but to have you care and take the time sacrifice your time to come up here and be with me and do that that's that's really a, a sweet awesome that's a that's not just 
a blessing for you, but it's a blessing for me as well. Thanks, Grandma. I love you. I love you too, honey. With your permission, no intermission, there's so much in my heart and so much to impart to you. I'm in love with you, honey. Say you love me too, honey. No one else will do, honey. Seems funny, but it's true. Loved you from the start, honey Bless your little heart, honey Every day would be so